everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from MoeGamer.net and also somewhere else now that I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but first I will introduce my regular co-host, Mr. Chris Kasky of Chris Kasky, sorry, CKaskyArt.com. I keep forgetting. That's right, no isn't worries. it? No worries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep wanting to say MrGuildaPixels.com and it's not that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It, it doesn't, any mistakes will not detract from my upwards of three views a week. So, so <laughs> I'm not terribly concerned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right then. Well, um, yeah, so before we start then, uh, a little bit of, uh, I guess you'd call it housekeeping and some announcements and stuff. So, um, as well as working on Moe Gamer in my free time, uh, I've recently been hired by a site called Rice Digital, um, who are a, um, a an outlet for games writing and uh, a bit of popular culture from Asia, Japan, that sort of thing. Uh, and they also have a store that sells uh, lovely limited editions of various games. So uh, currently at the moment they're selling the Birthday Suit Collector's Edition of Galgun Returns, which is very nice. So um, the majority of my writing now you will probably find over there for the minute because that's my day job now. And now I have a day job that I enjoy that I don't spend 85% of the day being bored and writing articles about anime girls in my <laughs> in my downtime uh, i'm actually getting paid to do it now so uh, do stop by ricedigital.co.uk and you'll see what i'm up to uh, every day we've also got a team of very nice uh, writers who are working with me as well to produce stuff each and every day as well and rice digital also has a youtube channel as well so you'll see some gameplay videos some article readings and all sorts of other things over there as well that's youtube.com forward slash rice digital so uh, that's my shilling for my day job out of the way. Um, that's uh, a lot of fun so far, but also it has meant that I'm having to uh, pull back a little bit on some of my own personal projects just because I'm I'm spending all day doing these things now. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of free time in the evenings. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, all good. So how are you being, Chris? Oh, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> painting and painting and gaming. Uh, yep, I've gotten back into collecting toys this oh, yeah. year, which is something I had gotten away from in a, a long time ago. So it's, mm -hmm. I've been having a lot of fun with that. I, um, I'm not allowed to do that. You're not, you're not allowed <laughs> to do that. That's probably well, I, because you would buy like three hundred dollar like PVC waifu statues and and then dote on them. It's 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 a fair assumption, uh, but also but also my wife was good enough to line the it, it, pretty much every wall in our living room with shelves for games and collectors editions and so on. So making some space for uh, for waifu figures as well is probably a little bit unreasonable, which is fair enough, I think. Also, you know, if I've got three hundred quid to spare, I, I would rather spend it on games than on waifu figures as well. However lovely some of those Neptunia figures over the years have been. <laughs> I've uh, I've started donating plasma, which is something that pays in the states. Uh -huh. I, I think we discussed this. I don't think it pays in the UK because you it doesn't. No, you, you get a, you get a you, a you get a chocolate biscuit. <laughs> you, you have a, you have a functional healthcare system, so you don't need to incentivize goodwill with with money. But in the states, if you donate plasma, which is different from donating blood, you get mm -hmm. paid. And uh, I've, I'm funding my toy collecting almost exclusively with money I'm earning from my blood. Nice. <laughs> so, so it's not dipping. It's not dipping into my. Uh, it's not dipping into my game, acquiring at all. <laughs> wow. All good. Yeah. No, I, I did look into it after you mentioned it, but no, no, you don't get paid over here at all for it. You you get a chocolate biscuit, and that's about it. <laughs> mm. 
All right. Okay. So um, today's episode, it's been a little while since we met. Uh, so we've got a, a few bits of news and what we've been playing to go through for the first two segments of the show. And uh, for the third segment of the show, uh, we're just going to have a fairly nice, light and breezy uh, discussion of some of our favourite pieces of music from games. And specifically, we're going to be looking at our favourite pieces of music from uh, first areas of games, first levels, that sort of thing. Basically, not not necessarily actual opening themes to games, but the sort of the first things you hear once you get into the gameplay side of things. So we will talk more about those in the third segment. Uh, but first of all, then, we have some news to go through. And as I say, there's uh, several weeks worth here. So, um, yeah, let's just get cracking. So, first of all, um, the first story we've got here is that uh, Akiba's Trip Hellbound and Debriefed is launching May the 20th in Japan uh, for PlayStation 4 and Switch. Uh, since this was first announced, Exceed have also confirmed that it is coming west as well. Um, so... Uh, this is getting a 10th anniversary edition for PS4 and Switch over here, uh, which is pretty much the same as the Japanese limited edition that they're doing that contains an art book and two soundtrack CDs, uh, and that'll be about $50 compared to $40 for the standard version's price tag. Uh, this is a remastered version of the first Akibus Trip game, uh, which is the one that we didn't previously get in the West. The one we got previously was actually Akibus Trip 2 that came out for PS3 and Vita and PS4. Uh, so it'd be nice to play this for the first time. Uh, have you are you familiar with the series at all? Uh, in passing, uh, I haven't played it. You're quite mm-hmm. fond of the one we did get, right? Yeah, I was. I was when 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 I did play uh, Akibus Trip Undead and Undressed on Vita um, several years back now. I I was really impressed because it was not at all what I was expecting. Um, I was expecting sort of. Um, kind of a arena combat etchy brawler type thing where you knock people's clothes off uh but no instead what i got was uh, basically uh otaku yakuza uh which is great so with what yakuza does for um the kamurocho region in tokyo akiba strip kind of does that for akihabara so it's got this lovingly crafted 3d recreation of akihabara that you can wander around and explore and it's got the real stores there that you can go in and you can buy stuff from and uh, you can often buy things from those stores to use as weapons or uh, armor so like you can dress up in different outfits and the different outfits have different armor ratings and amounts of hit points and so on uh, and then there's this ridiculous story to follow through as well where people are creating uh, artificial vampires and you have to um you have to deal with them by exposing them to the sunlight uh, they are invulnerable to sunlight from the neck up uh, which means that in order to expose them to the sunlight and destroy them you need to tear all of their clothes off <laughs> and so the the combat sequences in akiba's trip involve uh sort of weakening characters until they're a state where you can grab like their shirt or their trousers or their shoes or whatever and then just then just whip them off um and it's it's great fun it's great fun it's got a really fun story um like i say the the world building is fantastic it's got a bunch of yakuza style side quests to explore as well as the main story as well and it's a very worthwhile use of your time if you haven't played it before um the first one i'm not familiar with at all like i say that didn't come west beforehand but um i assume it's it's more of the same um akiba's trip 2 i think was originally built for ps3 and vita rather than being ported the first akiba's trip was originally a psp game so it's probably going to be a little bit more dated in terms of structure and aspects of its presentation but uh, i believe the the main concept of it is the same so yeah definitely going to be one to to keep an eye out on 
cool. Yeah, I, I was pretty excited to see this because I, I knew we didn't get the first one, so this mm -hmm. would be a good opportunity. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, right, moving along, uh, we've got a story that Nintendo has acquired Next Level Games. Uh, I had to look up who these guys were, but they've done a bunch of really good stuff, actually. Yeah. Uh, Next Level Games did Super Mario Strikers on GameCube, Mario Strikers Charged, and uh, the really good version of Punch-Out for Wii. Uh, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon uh, is probably the, the, the one of theirs that I'm most familiar with. That's the 3DS one. Uh, and Metroid Prime Federation Force, but we won't hold that against them. Um, they also did uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 most recently on Switch as well. So, yes, which I will uh, be so talking about in our next segment. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I would love to hear more about that. Uh, so yeah, Nintendo has agreed to basically acquire these guys completely and make them a wholly owned subsidiary, which makes a lot of sense given that they've worked on some sort of reasonably high-profile things for Nintendo. They worked on some big franchises for Nintendo. Obviously, the Mario Sports games are sort of a little bit off sort of the the center of attention of nintendo but luigi's mansion um is sort of becoming a much bigger deal for nintendo especially with how well received luigi's mansion 3 was punch out i remember being a big deal when it came out um yeah so this this makes perfect sense so good for them uh continuing on um we're getting an ultimate edition of the king of fighters 14 which includes all dlc fighters which means chris can finally buy it um, <laughs> um yes so uh what does this include over the base game it's got eight dlc characters 10 dlc costumes and 10 ps4 themes as well if you care um so yes this is out now uh, i was going to say it will arrive on january the 20th but we're well past that now yeah um, there are physical editions up for pre-order on play asia in english yes. language uh asian region english language um so i mean i guess if you care about online play that's going to be problematic depending on your region uh but if you don't care about online play like yours truly there will be physical english copies available mm -hmm. um, and i believe those are shipping in april good stuff good stuff yeah so this this is a really good deal now if you want to get into a particular fighting game because there's 58 characters in the game now uh with uh, a bunch of extra costumes um apparently there there is a physical version coming to europe sometime this spring as well um so not sure what's happening there north america themselves aren't getting a physical release which hence the play asia uh, asia english release um, but yeah, it looks like there is going to be a European release of this as well. So uh, that may be an alternative for those of you who want to import a copy of that. Yeah, yeah this is a we're seeing a, a surprising number of times that's happening at the moment. We're seeing stuff getting a physical release in Europe, but not in North America, which um, I mean, it sucks for you. But it, I, uh, having having lived through the PS1 era, I'm ecstatic about. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, I mean, this has been going on for quite some time, actually. Mm. Um, you know, uh, even thinking back to Bloodborne, yeah, uh, the, you know the, the the PAL territories got a uh, a physical edition with all the DLC that I had to import. It's kind of silly too. There's like weird variations between territories for certain games. Mm -hmm. um, like something I'm looking into getting. I really like the Shadow of Mordor games. Yes, the basically uh, Lord of the Rings Assassin's Creed. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But, and I and I like them a lot. They play really nice. The combat's a lot of fun, etc. But um, anyway, the the U.S. version of the complete edition of that, the DLC is just a code. Mm -hmm. But the PAL version, it's straight up two discs, one disc yeah. with the DLC on it. So like, it's very interesting. I, I don't know why <laughs> or or you know maybe mm. it has something to do with like regulations or like requirements or perceptions in, in the euro region 
Um, you know, with, with Asia, it has a lot to do with the instability of internet connectivity. Yeah, uh, yeah. Th- there's been a lot of writing about that. I think part of it is also down to how active certain distributors are in certain regions. Uh, I'm actually skipping ahead to something I posted a bit later here, but um, Numskull Games recently announced uh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, they did a, a showcase video on YouTube where they announced that they're doing physical releases of a whole bunch of things, including Battle Axe, which is one thing I know we're both excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but one that really jumped out to me was that they're also doing a release of uh, Brigandine as well, which... Yes. Um, limited run did recently um and at the time i wasn't able to to order that so this basically gives me another another chance to get my hands on brigandine and for, indeed for anyone else who missed the limited run to get their hands on brigandine as well so and that's coming in april 2021 but numskull are a uk company so obviously a lot of their business is done in europe um so yeah i i, I guess i guess this sort of pattern is is mostly to do with that sort of thing but um yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's happening. Like the indie sphere, like I I import Euro region uh, indie games on physical from through Play Asia like a ton. I have like five yeah. or six on pre order right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Morbid, the Seven Acolytes, uh, Wallachia, Reign of Dracula, Golden Force. Those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head. But yeah. all got all got uh, PAL region physical releases, but not in the West. Mm-hmm yep and of course the nice thing about living in the hd age is that pal releases don't suck compared to ntsc versions anymore as well so yeah. you, you lose nothing you lose nothing it's great excuse me right yeah, i have a ton, uh, ton of euro games mm, cool all right uh moving on square enix is trademarked three final fantasy 7 related names uh which include ever crisis uh the first soldier and the logo for the shinra electric power company um they haven't announced what these are yet um but speculation is something to do with uh maybe to do with um yeah, final fantasy before crisis and crisis core um perhaps some sort of spin-off of that or remaster of that or who knows uh the first soldier um will probably be uh, fairly obvious to um to to fans of final fantasy 7 uh that'll explore sort of the uh the the soldier forces in some way uh but may well uh go further into things like sephiroth's backstory zach's backstory and that sort of thing um but yeah we don't know exactly what these are about yet but it would make perfect sense for square enix to go in hard on final fantasy 7 remake uh and related material given that how well that was received especially in comparison to final fantasy 15 final fantasy 7 remake seemed to be sort of much more universally praised than 15 was so it makes sense for them to go hard on it. Yeah, people people sure love FF7. <laughs> understatement <laughs> of the understatement of the century. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's quite popular. <laughs> all right, uh, moving on. Um, a DS game from 2011 called Monster Tale uh, is being re-released on modern game platforms. Uh, it was announced by Majesco and developer Dream Rift. Um, so this is a, um, a game that is a combination of puzzle platformer, open structure 2D platformer, and pet management as you rid the monster world of the evil ragtag group, the Kid Kings um i'm not familiar with this but uh, a fair few people seem quite excited about this when it was announced so are, are you familiar with this one oh, oh yes <laughs> nah, yeah okay the, the, D- one the of those. ds 
Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> DS original is amazing. It's like uh-huh. one of my favorite DS games. It is so cool. good. And um, the some of the, the pixel artists who did this would go on to do uh, Henry Hatsworth, which was also a game that I oh, cool, like, yeah. love on the, on the DS. Yeah, I yeah, am familiar it, with that one. Yeah, it's uh, this is a really good game. Cool. I don't really have anything else to say besides that. It's super cute and sweet and great pixel art and, and just fun to play. And this is was made in, in in the age before like the open structure two D platformers were were like a dime Everywhere. a dozen. Yeah, yeah. It was like <laughs> so when when this came out, it was it was quite special because there just cool. wasn't a ton of other entries in this genre that weren't overtly castlevania or yeah. uh, metroid first party so it, for its time it was it was quite a special game when it came out cool well i'll watch out for that one then um it's uh sounds sounds very good and like i say there's been a, a lot of very positive buzz around that so right uh no further news on that at the moment though uh it's just coming in 2021 that's all we know for the moment i believe all right, next story we've got is that uh, Itagaki, uh, formerly of Tecmo and creator of the Dead or Alive and Ninja Gaiden series, has established a new game studio, and he's also open to a potential Microsoft acquisition as well. Um, so, uh, what has he been up to recently? He says for the past four years he's been teaching to foster juniors, but he's decided he wants to make a game again. So he's decided to, to form a company uh, to sort of push himself back in that direction. Um, and his current plan uh, is to release something for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series, and PC via Steam. Uh, but I don't think we know what he's doing yet, do we? No. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any. Yeah. So he, he, he's he's just said he he's making a game. That's that's about it for the minute. Uh, but yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I like it. Itagaki's work. He's got a very sort of distinctive sense of uh style and and how he uh he puts games together as well and it's not just a matter of bouncing tits although that's usually involved um yeah so interested to see what he comes up with yeah i never played devil's third did you ever play devil's third that's one of those games that sort of well one of many games that got critically panned but a lot of people who spent a lot of time with it really like it yeah Uh, i own a copy but i haven't booted it up yet because it's one that i want to give a proper sort of amount of time to because i I think it's going to be worth investigating in a bit more detail um i believe the multiplayer in that was supposed to be surprisingly good as well though i doubt anyone's playing that anymore or even if it was mostly designed around the multiplayer it's one of those games where like the single player was kind of an afterthought Mm. yeah yeah i i I know it's it's supposed to be one of those interesting games that a lot of people bounced off so that means we'll probably love it so yeah all for that (laughs) indeed Okay, uh, next up, a slightly less positive story, unfortunately. Uh, the two Utawari... Yeah, start again. The two Utawari Rumano games for PlayStation 4 and Vita don't appear to be on the PlayStation Store anymore. So this was uh, Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth, uh, which are the second and third Utawari Rumano games. Um, they just got delisted without warning one day, um, for some reason. Um the prelude to the fallen which is the recently released version of the first game in the series which these america did last year um is still available and utawari rumano zan which is the sort of action rpg spin-off is still available as well but for some reason mask of truth and mask of deception do not appear to be there anymore actually this this was a couple of 
a few weeks since this was announced. I'm just going to check if they've actually come back since then. I haven't I haven't seen anyone saying that they are, but I'm just going to have a quick check yeah, as we speak, just just in case. I can spell it, I just can't say it. I believe it was um, a licensing issue. Mm. Uh, there's Prelude to the Fallen, there's Zan. There's a whole bunch of DLC. Um, nope, they're still gone. Uh, so I don't know what's happening there. I think you can still get them on Steam, um, but for whatever reason, they're not on the PlayStation Store anymore. So who knows what's going on there? Uh, as you say, may well be licensing issues. They may well be back at some point. Uh, but there are physical releases of both of those as well. So if you want to add those to your collection, that might be your best bet now. You can get that whole series in physical form as well. So if you are a collector, that's worth uh, getting your hands on. Okay, uh, next story. Um, a developer from who has worked on uh, God of Protectors uh, for Ancient and Protect Me Knights, which are sort of favourite games of ours. Uh, they have a new NES and Famicom game on the way called Blazing Rangers that's coming out in summer of this year. This is a, a firefighting-based game. Um, a building filled with children is on fire and you have to extinguish the flames to reach them. Uh, and there's single and two-player co-op options available. And there's a nice uh, video sort of previewing what it's all about. And it's got a wonderfully exaggerated Japanese song over the top of it as well. So that's uh, worth your time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're actually going to be selling this on a Famicom or NES cart as well. Um, have they said if they're going to actually port it to modern platforms as well? I don't think they have, have they? Doesn't look like it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know offhand. Um well, it's pretty amazing too. It's like uh, first press games is going to have the um, these carts, and what they've done is actually quite cool. Um, there's actually th you can buy one of three different versions, so you can actually buy a Famicom cart, a uh, a Euro style NES cart, or mm -hmm. a American style NES cart, and each one of those has different uh, a different cartridge sticker, instruction manual, and box. Um, hey, all, cool. all, all stylized off of the different, um, like the different art styles you would have expected for those. Oh yeah, like even 80s. the box art is different, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's yeah. like there's like the awful Mega Man style art on one of them, and <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, that's either awesome or devilishly devious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll probably get the uh, the Famicom cart because I have the uh, I have an analog NT Mini now, so I can play yeah. Famicom carts. Um, yeah. Just I because I I obviously I want that cute anime style artwork. <laughs> I of don't course. Want the, the hideous US Mega Man <laughs> style artwork. Of course. Even though it's cool that they did it, I have no desire to pay eighty dollars to own it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. Okay. Uh, moving on. Next story. Final Fantasy fourteen has announced its new expansion, which is called Endwalker. Uh, and that will be available in the autumn of this year. Um, so what this is going to do, this is going to wrap up the currently running main story that has been running since uh, A Realm Reborn onwards through Shadowbringers. Um, so that story will apparently come to an end um, at the conclusion of the base story of the expansion, which means that when they get into the patch cycle every three months after the expansion releases... Uh, it will be into sort of a, the start of a new overarching plot, which is all very exciting. 
So, uh, for those not familiar, the sort of a, the sort of big story in Final Fantasy fourteen from A Realm Reborn onwards has been the conflict between um, sort of light and dark. So, there's been the conflict between Hydaelyn, who is sort of the Mother Crystal that sort of uh, watches over all of existence and uh, and embodies light and that sort of thing, and Zodiac, who will be familiar to people who have been um, sort of paying attention to the Final Fantasy series as a whole, and sort of alongside all the stuff that's going on in the main plots of the expansions that's sort of been uh rumbling away in the background so some sort of resolution is going to come to that as part of endwalker um the new expansion is going to have two new jobs uh i think they've only announced one of them so far which is sage uh the other one i think was going to be another dps um but they haven't said what it is yet uh, it'll raise the level cap from 80 to 90. Uh, you'll be able to go to Garlemald, uh, which is like a major location that we haven't seen in Final Fantasy XIV yet. It's been talked about a lot, but we haven't been there yet. Uh, you'll be able to fight uh, Anima, uh, participate in a high-end raid called Pandemonium, which is presumably based on Final Fantasy II. And um, you go to the moon. Uh, so this is uh, this is going to be the Final Fantasy IV expansion, basically. Mm-hmm. so each each of the main expansions has kind of been uh sort of loosely inspired by one of the previous final fantasies so we've we've had sort of uh final fantasy 5 and final fantasy 6 and a bit of final fantasy 3 paid homage to along the way so this is very obviously going to be the final fantasy 4 expansion so um yeah so a lot uh coming on there uh Estinian, who is a popular character is is being added to the game's trust system so you'll be able to fight alongside him in dungeons uh, there'll be a new housing location, and there's a new mode where you can cultivate your own private island, raise animals, and play with your minions. So, uh, yeah, it's doing a sort of Animal Crossing type thing from the sound of things as well. So cute! Why is this game so good? I wish I liked all those. <laughs> it's it's because the people who make it they really care about it. Like if you if you listen to Yoshi P talking about Final Fantasy XIV, he loves it, and like he refers to it as his life's work. And it absolutely is. Even though he's also working on Final Fantasy 16, he is. This is his life now. This is what he does, and he obviously absolutely loves every minute of it. And it really comes across in in what what the game does. So it drives me nuts that I can't play it. Like like a couple, <laughs> like a group of my buddies started playing it. Like, and they had never played it. Like like mm-hmm. two weeks ago, and I'm like, Aah! but I know, I know, I'll play it for like two weeks, and then like, get out <laughs> like I, I'm like I'm like resisting so hard. I would yeah. I, I, I've, so I've actually been revisiting it recently, and I've been exploring their uh, the new game plus mode that they added. Um, which allows you to take your current character and basically rewind the story right back to the beginning if you want to, or or pick a particular chapter that you want to play again, and you can you can replay the whole main scenario, including sort of the single player instance battles and uh, all all the the main story quests and that sort of thing. You don't get any rewards for doing it; it's a pure story exercise. Sure, um, but but it's just a really nice addition, particularly if you've you've had a few years off like I have, and you want to kind of get back up to speed. So is it like um, proper New Game Plus? Like you keep all your gear and your levels so you can just like breeze through it and enjoy the story? Yeah, yeah exactly. You, you, you keep your character as it was and you just activate New Game Plus mode and that basically resets the open world to the state it's in at various points in the main scenario. So like characters are in the right place, you can go and talk to them, quests are open, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you're just playing your level 70, 80, 90 character or whatever. 
That would be a um, fun way to grind up a new job class because, like, sometimes it's like you want to start a new job class. You don't really know what to do when you're in like end game content. Yeah, yeah. The, the The downside to it is you you don't you don't get any rewards for the quests, so you don't get any experience rewards for the quests. But uh, you do uh, you do get experience for sort of uh, mobs you kill. You do get experience for where, if you run a dungeon with other people, you get the dungeon experience and so on. So it's probably not ideal for doing that. Uh, but there are multiple ways that you can grind up a new class now with probably the best one being the um, palace of the dead and heaven on high which are the two randomly generated dungeons you can go and run those solo and uh, each set of 10 floors you clear in those you get a massive chunk of experience so those are great for leveling Um, so yeah there's no need to just sort of grind one thing over and over anymore there's lots of different ways to get other classes up to speed you're not doing a good job of <laughs> convincing hey. me not to play it <laughs> hey if, if if i've signed up again and if i have to suffer someone else has to suffer alongside me <laughs> anyway uh let's move on from that before i convince you any further um we mentioned god of protectors a moment ago uh but they've announced that the english version of god of protectors is complete uh, and that will bring it to Western audiences, which is very excited because um, the 3DS version, they released that in America, didn't they? But not in Europe. Am I right? I don't even know. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I know I was I was frustrated for some reason about that because I couldn't play it because the 3DS is region locked. Mm. Um, but yeah, this, this is coming to Switch, so you'll be able to play it uh, wherever you like. Um, if you've not come across this before... This is a series that originated on the Xbox Live Indie Games platform on Xbox 360, um, and it was a title that was uh, just—it was just written in Japanese, so you had to know it was there. But it was—it was so good. It was so good. It was a, an NES-inspired sort of uh, single-screen arena battle thing where you had to defend a princess from incoming enemies from all sides and uh, you could play one of four character classes you could upgrade those character classes and you could play up to four player co-op as well and it's just so much fun and there have been a couple of games uh beyond that since one of which was god of protectors um so yeah i'm very much looking forward to being able to play this again um in a means that's a little bit more accessible than xbox live indie games because xbox live indie games doesn't exist anymore so you can't download it anymore but if you have got it on your hard drive already you can still enjoy it so that is never getting deleted from my 360. <laughs> my dream is that someone will do a compilation cartridge when the third one is done and just put them all that'd together. be cool yeah yeah that'd be cool um nightworthy thing about this series um if you're not familiar is that it's developed by ancient which is yuzo koshiro's company so it's got music from yuzo koshiro and a few other composers he's gonna come um, later <laughs> yeah there are there's um yuzo koshiro also made a big point of doing uh some alternative sound packs for it as well so as well as the sort of iconic nes sound you can also um, get DLC packs that put it into sort of FM synth mode and a recreation of the SNES sound chip and all that sort of thing as well. So you can have the different versions of the soundtrack. Um, so yeah, that is uh, on the way. I uh, don't think there's a date for that yet, but the English version is complete now. So presumably it's just got to go through things like the certification process and manufacturing and that sort of thing. But keep an eye out for that one. Uh, next up, we've got another acquisition story. Uh, Meteor Rise has acquired 100% of the shares of Alpha System, making it a wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, these are two names that I, I know the names of, but I can never remember what they've done. Um, what have they worked so, on? 
Alpha System, it, it, you, you know for their shmups. You just played. Um, uh, oh yes, this is Royale. Yeah. Um, and they're they're famous for the Shikigami no Shiro series, which is mm -hmm. their baby. Yep. Uh, Meteorize, I'm not super familiar with. Um, yeah. They apparently developed uh, Valkyrie Drive Bikuni uh, and yep. uh, and Senran Kagura Bon Appetit. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, so uh, that was the, that was the music game spin-off, and then yeah, Valkyrie Drive would have been um, alongside uh, Kenichiro Takaki wherever he was at the point that. Was. I think that was sort of just around the point he was establishing Honey Parade games there, so mm -hmm. they would have worked alongside that. Okay, yeah, so I do know them. Um, they're just so like <laughs> all the stuff they've worked on, I tend to associate with other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is why it surprised me that they were able to acquire uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> this other developer. I mean, I'm sure Alpha Systems' fortunes were not exactly in super high, sky-high numbers. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, I, I can only name two games in the past, like, eight years, I think, that they've made. Yeah, um, yeah. Mamoru-kun Curse, which was available for download on the PS3, and, um, mm -hmm. and, and most recently Sisters Royale. Mm -hmm. But, um... Yeah, it's just interesting. I hope this means together they'll both be able to continue to make interesting games. <laughs> I, I it like sounds that way. Yeah, it, it sounds like this is this is mostly a money thing. It doesn't sound like they they want to sort of um, interfere with any of the sort of creative process or anything like that. It sounds pretty much just like a sort of money thing. It's like here, have some money, and we can make stuff together. Yeah, which combine, is our, combine cool. our fortunes. <laughs> yeah, sounds cool to me. Yeah, I mean, I love I love the specific style of um, Alpha System shooters. They were kind of one of the um, earliest proponents of like creating uh, grays systems in vertical yeah. shoot 'em ups. The the yeah. idea that in a in a shoot 'em up, if you get close to an enemy bullet, it increases your power for the duration that you're close to that enemy bullet. So it's like a very strong risk reward mechanic and. I don't think they were the first game to do that, but they really made their name by kind of perfecting that and making games built around that. Um, the whole yep. Shikigami no Shiro series, as well as Sisters Royale, uh, uses that mechanic uh, at its core, and, and it's a lot of fun. Cool. All right. Uh, continuing on, uh, we've got a uh, announcement of an indie platformer called Dogworld, uh, which is coming out on March the 18th for PC and then later in the year for Nintendo Switch. Um, so this is a game that uses the uh, the one-bit graphic style that's been quite fashionable among indie developers for now. It's like straight black and white. Uh, so black background, white graphics on top of it. Um, and it claims to be a love letter to Cave Story, Mega Man, and Metroid. Uh, I've not seen this before, so what attracted your attention about this, other than sort of the things I've just mentioned? It was mainly the things you just mentioned. <laughs> oh, fair it was it, it was mainly it was mainly just the graphics. Um, yeah, you know, I think that stark uh, white on black is just such a really interesting graphical style. Mm -hmm. And I love to see what these indie devs do with it. Um, I yep. was a real big yep. fan of Downwell. Um, yes, yes, it looks very much like Danwell. Well. Yeah. Um, but besides that, I mean, like one bit is kind of misleading because it's like the one, the two color is like nothing but white and red on black. But like, it's still higher res than like a traditional old game would be. So like, even with it just being the white, black, and red. There's a tremendous amount of detail in a lot yeah. of like the environmental yeah. work. Yeah. Um, 
yeah other so than that, I, I mean, I, I mean to, to to clarify for those who sort of aren't familiar with that terminology the, the the one bit is not referring to sort of processing power in this case it's referring to color depth um so one one bit just means white or black you have one bit which is either on or off if it's on it's white if it's off it's black uh so that's where that comes from so it's not it's not the same as saying that something has 8-bit graphics um which which people tend to tend to say uh when they're talking about something that looks like an nes game or something like that so that's that's just a distinction worth making but sure it it is a style that's become quite popular among indie developers at the moment and it it's it's oddly flexible as well as you say this this um this game's got a nice amount of detail to it have you seen world of horror at all no no i'm not familiar with that one. um world of horror is a um it's basically a combination of adventure game and roguelike and uh with the, some heavy inspirations from tabletop uh role-playing and board games as well okay so it's um it's kind of a point and click adventure with kind of randomly generated scenarios uh but you also sort of run into random events along the way and you have to use your stats and sort of do virtual dice rolls and stuff for things to happen and that is all presented in one bit graphics as well and it, it looks like an old mac game yes like i have from, i have from, seen this i'm looking at it yeah. now uh, i yeah. just didn't so, recognize the title yeah, it, it looks like something you would play on on the original Macintosh, and it's it's gorgeous. Like it's it's a, a very busy screen because there's, there's lots of stuff, lots of information it's presenting with you at once. But it's a very distinctive look and feel. Um, and like I say, it's it's been quite popular among a, a lot of indie developers recently. I I really like it. I really like it. So, but yes, uh, Dogworld looks uh, looks like it's going to be well worth a look. And you'll be able to do that next month from March the 18th on Steam and, as I say, coming to Switch later in the year. I just like games that are shooty. <laughs> I, yeah. I like Cave Story. <laughs> I like guns. I like shooty shooty. I like Contra. Um, <laughs> looks like fun. And I love, I love the open platform side-scroller combined with that like that's yes a, a delicious yeah. combo for me I, yeah specifically yeah. I, I would agree with you on that i would absolutely agree with you on that okay uh, a couple more stories that we've got uh coming on um arc system works announced that they are bringing a ps2 cult classic called kowloon high school chronicle to the west uh, as i record this it actually came out on nintendo switch digitally the other day um but also um shortly after arc system works announced that digital release uh pcube announced that they are doing physical releases of it as well so you can order those from uh from the race digital store uh which uh yeah i i now need to push people in the direction of but yeah we've got physical uh, limited editions of that uh coming out as well and it's it's, it's quite an affordable limited edition it's, it's not a box that's filled with lots and lots of goodies but it's basically got the game and it's got a trinket that hasn't been announced yet but um it's it's basically the price of a of a regular game rather than a limited edition so if you want a copy of that on your shelf uh grab it if you've not come across this game before uh this is basically the spiritual predecessor to uh what's it called tokyo twilight ghost hunters mm, that's um, a really interesting series yeah so it's uh it's a combination of uh adventure game and sort of social life sim dating sim and first person dungeon crawler as well so uh it has a conversation system where you interact with characters and rather than picking from dialogue choices you choose the mood of your response so you have um like nine different moods you can choose from to respond to people nine and 
um, yeah, nine. That's that many lot. exist, you know. There's, there's, they're not just sad and meh. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so so you have these these nine different options you could choose when you when you're talking to characters, uh, and that affects your relationships with them and the stories that you go down. Um, and then the dungeon crawling aspect, um, it's uh, rather than being sort of heavily labyrinth based, as in a lot of dungeon crawling RPGs, it's it's more sort of um, room based. So you'll go from room to room, and each room will have some sort of gimmick in it. So uh, it may have some enemies that you need to defeat in there, but it will probably also have some puzzles you need to solve in there as well. So it's kind of got a touch of um, almost escape room style stuff going on as well. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's got really interesting combat as well, because it's got sort of tactical combat with movement in it as well. So mm. uh, most first person dungeon crawlers tend to have sort of your party lines up, the enemies line up and so on. But this one's got grid based movement as well. So you can sort of position yourself to the side and behind enemies and that sort of thing and move your party around and attack from different angles so yeah this looks like a really interesting game uh that i wasn't familiar with before it was announced but it seems to be um sort of quite a popular cult classic among people in the know so i'm very much up for this it's also got a whole built-in um retro style game called rockford adventure in it as well that's got some lovely pixel art so cool yeah i mean uh, this is something that probably wouldn't have been on my radar un- un- until after you told me about it. But just like mechanically, it sounds so interesting. And I'm yeah, specifically yeah. really interested in the the Kowloon uh, like theme and setting. Um, there's yeah. been a lot of games historically with that setting and, and like the, the, the the weirdness and the history of the Kowloon mm-hmm. setting is, is really f- interesting to explore. So, yeah, this is going to be worth checking out for sure. Yep. Oh, good. Uh, and last thing I just wanted to mention, just just a, a short story. Super Rare Games has announced their their latest uh, limited edition, which is coming in about five days' time at the time of recording. Uh, and that is they're doing a, a physical Switch release of Lonely Mountains Downhill, which is a really lovely game that I enjoyed a lot um, a few months back. This is a mountain biking game. unfolds from a sort of uh, isometric-style perspective, and it's got this lovely kind of low-poly papercraft look about it. Um, and it's it's just a, a really nice relaxing game uh, until you try some of the harder courses and then it's the most infuriating game you'll ever play but if you <laughs> if you enjoy sort of those um, sort of skillful physics style races with a touch of exploration and stuff this is a really nice game and uh, I will probably pick this up because I, I really enjoyed the download version and it's it's one that I would be happy to have on my shelf so watch out for that on uh, from the 18th of February they are pre-ordering it so I got the email about this, and I couldn't remember if this was the game you were telling me about or not, so I'm glad to hear yes. it is. Yes, yes, it was. I, I've written about it on Moa Gamer, and I think I did a video about it on YouTube as well, so you, you should be able to get a good idea of uh, of whether it's for you from that. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's a good game. It's a wonderful sound design in that game. It's got, it's got the best sort of outdoor sounds I think I've ever heard in a game. Sort That's of cool. the just a, the the nice sort of atmosphere. It's got sort of nice wind noises, and you can hear birds singing in the background and stuff. And it's just a really nice immersive sound um, that really adds to the atmosphere of it. So, all right, good stuff. Any more news you want to cover before we wrap up? No, I think that's the lion's share of it. It's okay. It continues with the the world we live in right now, where like there's somehow no news and a ton of news. It's like we have to make <laughs> manufacture interest. Uh, well, well, we managed 45 minutes of news there, so that's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. All right, so we'll take a short break now, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've been playing recently. So we'll see you in just a moment. 
Welcome back. For our second segment, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. So, what have you been up to, Chris? Well, in this beautiful new world order, I've actually been able to beat video games. Good lord. So, yeah, imagine that. So, um, I have uh, just finished uh, E's Memories of Calcutta. Ah, very nice. Which is, as most E's games are, which kind of goes without saying at this point, absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. For those unfamiliar with the particularly unique history of Memories of Calcutta, <laughs> uh, it was developed as a, uh, a Vita game and was rather recently also ported to uh, Steam and the PS4, so it's available on a couple different platforms. What's special about Memories of Calcutta is that it is a 3D, from the ground up, remake of Ease 4. Now, but which one? Which one? Indeed. So, <laughs> so, 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 Ease Four has a very interesting place in Ease series history. Uh, in that, Ease Four was the was outsourced. Uh, traditionally, Ease games were developed by Neon Falcom, but uh, in the 16-bit era, Ease Four was actually outsourced. Uh, there were two different versions, and each version was developed by a different developer. So there is the, the PC Engine CD version, Dawn of East, which is developed by Hudson Soft. And then there is the Super Nintendo version, Ease for Mask of the Sun, which was developed by Tonkin House for the Super Famicom. The, one, the Super Nintendo one largely serves as the narrative uh, canon that they pulled for Memories of Calcutta. So mm -hmm. what they've done is by taking hold of this, choosing and choosing which narrative they believe is the correct one to fit into the Ease timeline. They've essentially finally settled the, a long-standing dispute amongst Ease fans, and, <laughs> and Falcom has put the hammer down and said, this is, the, this is it. This is the canonical story of Adol's adventures in Calcutta. Done. Uh, so, I mean, that's it's really cool. It's cool that they decided to do that. I know there's a little bit of pissiness and like the fan community over some of the narrative choices or some of the story things they decided to make canon but overall i just thought it was a really great game um, yeah yeah i'd agree with that i really enjoyed this one this was it, uh, um this was sort of the first kind of um it wasn't it wasn't the first party ease but it, I, I think it was the one where uh it sort of refines the formula uh, yeah. a bit closer well, to what we see with uh, ease 8 and ease 9 now I think a lot of people didn't play Ease Seven yeah. because it was just came out at the tail end of the PSP's lifetime, and it hasn't mm -hmm. has it been ported. Uh, there's, a, there's a PC port. There, okay, there was there Steam. was originally like a weird Chinese PC port that floated around the internet for a bit, but they they actually did an official PC port a couple of years back. Okay. Uh, so you can grab that on Steam now, I think. Good, good, yeah. But not a lot of people played Ease Seven originally back in the days, so. Calcutta was a lot of people's first experience with kind of 3D party ease. Yeah. Because um, it came out kind of in the early days of the Vita when there mm -hmm. wasn't a ton of stuff to play on the Vita. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of was one of the Vita's killer apps if you were a fan of Japanese gaming back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times in the history of this podcast have we explained ease. <laughs> but uh, it eases uh, ac oh, you mostly overhead perspective action RPG, um, where it differs from other action RPGs is a distinct focus on uh, a high tempo of action, like speed, combos, and attacks. Um, this becomes particularly uh, part of the formula in 
newer 3D E's, what we call party E's, because what they do is they give you multiple characters. Each character has a physical attack attribute, strike, pierce, or slash. Uh, enemies have different weaknesses, so you're always encouraged to, like, rot- uh, you run around in a party of three, you're encouraged to rotate your characters uh, actively to increase your effectiveness against the particular types of enemies you're facing at any given time. Calcutta um, is really cool too because uh, it's clear in playing it that they were inspired by games like Castlevania and Metroid in developing the structure of the world. So it yes. kind of feels like an open platform uh, side scroller in a lot of its mechanical hooks. Um, the whole caveat of the story is that uh, as Adol the adventure, you're exploring this continent, Calcutta, which has a legendary. Uh, forest that is dangerous and unexplored. Um, so you're tasked with mapping this forest out. So in the same way as when you play Symphony of the Night and you you fill in the map gradually as you explore, uh, Memories of Calcutta actually allows you to do that, but in in an overhead action RPG. So you're you're running around this map. The map fills in as you explore it. You receive payout bonuses based on the amount of the map you've explored throughout various parts of the story. Um, you unlock shortcuts eventually uh, as you loop around different areas and each of the each of the characters you meet and recruit has a different ability that assists in navigation so one character can use a uh, ice magic to close fissures and allow you to cross them one one character throws knives and so you can like sever vines and, and make items drop into pits so you can cross them safely uh, one character can break walls so as you progress in the story you unlock more accessibility to continue to explore the environment more so uh, it's a really satisfying combination of this exploration uh, alongside the uh, the really satisfying action combat as well um uh, i just really really enjoy it mm. yeah yeah it's a it's a really fun game it's been a few years since i played it now but i i remember enjoying it a great deal um killer soundtrack as well which goes oh, without saying yeah, for an ease game yeah, of course yeah. but but a particularly good one in this one i found yes absolutely um yeah i'm i'm, I'm embarking on a uh I'm embarking on a, a bit of a mission to get caught up on ease. <laughs> um, I, I want so I'm gonna I'm gonna be diving into eight very soon, um, which I only have really dipped my toes in for the first five or six hours worth. So I'm gonna start that over and actually burrow through it because I, I really really want to get to nine because nine f- speaks to me thematically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, but I don't want to play it until I've I've given eight its fair shake as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So I know eight is somewhat controversial for a number of points, but um, I found I really enjoyed what I had played of it so far. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Good stuff. All right. Anything else you've been up to? Uh, yes, I've also been playing. Uh, after uh, I finished Ease, I immediately dove into Luigi's Mansion Three. Right, tell um, me more. Which I am absolutely loving the hell out of. Um, I feel like I say this a lot, especially for like first party. I mean, this isn't a first party Nintendo game, as we 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 uh, covered. It, it's it was developed by Next Level Games, which have now been acquired as a subsidiary of Nintendo, but. Um, I was consistently surprised as I play this game that this wasn't developed by, like, in-house Japanese Nintendo Studio One. Yeah. Like, the, the, the level of love and care 
put into crafting this game, it, it, it's unlike anything I've seen before. Um, I, I'm, I was hesitant to play it, knowing it wasn't developed in-house by Nintendo, because I, I hadn't played Dark Moon on the 3DS. Ah, okay. So I, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but, like, you know, I mean this as a compliment. This feels indistinguishable from an in-house developed Nintendo game. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so the... the the premise is that as Luigi, you are exploring this haunted hotel to try to save the, the Mario crew that have all been captured by King Boo. Um, the hotel thing is kind of just like a loose theme, but like every floor of the hotel has a really unique um, like feature and theme. So um, some of them are, are, are make sense, like so, some like one of the first floors you explore is just like the luxury suites and then like one of the floors you explore is like this is where there's like shops in the hotel mm-hmm. um but like they get weirder as they go up <laughs> for 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 like i don't want to ruin them but like like one of them is like the quote garden suites end quote and it's literally like a a se- a section and the rooms are like overrun with like plants and flowers and like greenery and so like <laughs> um now, Luigi's Mansion has always been an interesting series because it kind of defies all genre definitions. Yeah. Like, Luigi's Mansion just kind of is Luigi's Mansion. Sometimes it feels like an action game because of when, you know, the, you combat the ghosts when they come after you and it's got a very action feel with its unique mechanics. Sometimes it feels like an adventure game because the real crux of the game is exploration and puzzle solving but instead of traditional adventure game mechanics wherein you're finding items and applying them to situations to solve puzzles luigi's mansion is built around the notion that you have a very limited skill set um the core of that skill set being your vacuum cleaner and your flashlight you can suck and blow with the vacuum cleaner um you can pull on things if you get them stuck in the vacuum. Um, you have a flashlight. Uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 adds additional things. Uh, you have a black light that you can use to reveal um, like hidden objects in the environments. Uh, you can do like a, like, a, like a jump that like disrupts the environment around you, like knock things back. Yeah. Uh, and, and you also have Gooigi, which is a, a slime clone of Luigi that essentially allows you to have two Luigis in any scene at once to like combine their efforts to solve puzzles together. And then Gooigi can also pass through grating and fences and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, those limited... Oh, also you can shoot a plunger out... Uh, onto objects with a flat, clean surface, and then suck the plunger up with your vacuum to pull it. And you can use that to, like, smash objects or, like, swing them around. Um, that limited skill set is it. Um, that's You have pretty much everything within the first hour and a half of the game. Yeah. Then there is no upgrade structure. There's no unlocking of items and weapons and abilities. There's no leveling up to make things powerful. The entirety of the game is literally just a consistent series of the developers flexing their muscle and their understanding of the skill set they've given you to craft unique puzzles to be solved with this limited skill set in very inventive and interesting ways. Um, and it is 
constantly delightful. It is constantly surprising. Um, it is much like I was talking about Paper Mario Origami King in, in the previous episode. Um, it rewards you for exploring every nook and cranny. There's always a silly gimmick to discover. Some some puzzles you solve do little more than give you some gold, which you can spend on useful items that like like a like an item that resurrects you if you die and stuff like that. But for the most part, you just do things in this game because it's fun to do them. Um, you know, um, I walked in the, uh, the one of the floors is a magic themed floor um, where everything is themed around performance magic. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you walk in the room and there's the classic uh, saw lady in half, right? <laughs> yeah. With the with the and the saw is embedded halfway into the box and I'll, and you go up to it and if you suck and blow with the vacuum in front of the saw you can make the saw go and finish the finish the gimmick and then that opens up and then a ghost comes out and then you fight the ghost and you get some gold like it's just the game encourages you to think and wrap your head around the skill set you have to solve these really creative puzzles um, mm. and it's just as someone who really loves to analyze mechanics and design game design, um, this game just feels like a carefully constructed piece of clockwork. Nothing is extraneous. Everything is there uh, for you to delight in what you can do and to in service of, of the fun of exploration and and, ma and making you feel smart when you figure something out. Yeah, it's just great. I'm, I'm just loving every minute of it. Oh, that sounds great. I've I've not played that one yet, but I did play uh, I did play Dark Moon um, on 3DS. It was actually one of the one of the first games I got for my 3DS, I think. But uh, that was a lot of fun, and again, incorporate a lot of the things you're talking about there. So the nice different blend of genres and the fact that it didn't really feel quite like anything else. Um, there was also a really, really good multiplayer mode in the 3DS version as well. I don't know if that's in the Switch version at all, but the oh yeah, it's. I mean, I haven't played it myself, but yeah, the the Switch version has the Switch game has a, a big, robust multiplayer yeah. suite, of like DLC packs that add additional challenges and levels. Like it's a big part of the package. Uh -huh. Oh, that's cool. Um, the um the 3DS multiplayer was basically um almost like a roguelike mode, I guess you'd call it, because it, it sort of gave you a randomly generated building and you could. Um, sort of apply various modifiers and stuff to it to make it more or less challenging and then you you just cooperated or competed against another player to sort of get the most points suck up the most ghosts find all the hidden stuff and it was it was just really good fun yeah i, I believe it's similar in the mm. in the new in the new one um i don't have much uh multiplayer people <laughs> to play with but if you have, if you ever pick it up and you want to try it i'm game for it oh cool um, yeah there's also local multiplayer Yes. Um, so, like, with Gooigi, you can actually have your friend control them locally, and you can play together to solve the puzzles cooperatively. Oh, that's neat. Um, in single-player mode. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, you don't cool. have to do that. You don't have to do... It's similar to, like, how, like, in the Mario Galaxy, you could have someone control... Use a remote to help you pick up, like, the star bits or whatever. But, you know, not necessary, but it is fun. Like, if you're playing mm -hmm. with a friend casually... Yeah. Little brother mode. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very yeah. much so. Oh, cool. All right. Anything else you've been up to? 
No, that that's it. Uh, unless you want to talk about pack attack some more. I got to level, got to level fifty I, the other day. I th- I think we covered that pretty comprehensively last time. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, what have I been up to then? I've been playing a few things. Um, I have been playing a bit of. I can't remember if we mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, we've certainly talked about it off mic uh, before. Uh, a bit of Hakoniwara Explorer Plus. Um, I downloaded the Steam version. Uh, not the Steam version, the Switch version, um, because I, I just felt like playing it on Switch. I, I'm still hoping that it will get a physical release at some point, but uh, I just fancy playing it right now, so I did. Um, yeah, so Hakoniwara Explorer Plus, if you've not come across it before, Hakoniwara means uh, box garden, I believe, and that's to do with the uh, the sort of presentation of the game. It's, it's from an isometric perspective, um, so it's got this lovely sort of isometric pixel art look about it. It's actually built with voxels rather than pixels, so it, it sort of does 3D properly. Um, but they've they've made it so it looks like sort of conventional 2D pixel art. It's a really nice looking game. Um, and it's a really unusual and interesting game as well, in that um, you start off and it doesn't really give you an objective. Uh, you just sort of wake up in this village. Uh, this girl in a swimsuit comes up to you and says, Hey, you're an adventurer. Off you go. Go and have some adventures. And then from there, what you do is you just talk to people and people might tell you about uh, a dungeon or an interesting location nearby. You go and check out that dungeon or that interesting location. You find some treasure, you beat up some monsters and then just repeat. That's that's all you do. But it's a pleasure to play because it's just a game about exploring and finding stuff and experimenting with different weapons and upgrades and fighting monster girls who will crush you between their thighs. And um, yeah yeah it's 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 a ton of fun it's um this sort of exploration centric thing is really nice because each area you go into a lot of them have different gimmicks so for example you're going to this foresty area uh, and you'll be told at the start well you're quite likely to get lost in here but if you keep heading in this particular direction you'll eventually reach the exit so you need to sort of go that direction when it's possible to but it's not always possible to for example um there's another um there's a desert sequence where you have to find the correct path by uh watching for the vegetation getting more and more um kind of lush as you get closer to an oasis so you have to figure out the correct sequence of of directions to go in Uh, then there's dungeons with a bit of platforming in there's dungeons with a lot of combat in there's dungeons with hidden objectives that will unlock bosses to fight all sorts of things there's a very robust achievement system in it as well um whereby you have sort of this um this basement that's full of trophies and each area has a bunch of possible achievements you can get um that is anything from defeating a boss to finding like a hidden area and that sort of thing and so you can look at the achievements to give you an idea of some of the things that you might want to try and do in the game so it's a really nice use of achievements none of them are like swing your sword 500 times or anything like that it's all like climb to the top of the waterfall at first bridge and find the magic mushrooms and that sort of thing um so it's it's just a game that really rewards having fun in the playground it gives you it doesn't sort of give you a a rigid structure or anything like that you just approach it however you see fit and it's a ton of fun so i love it it's a bit like um you know i've often found that that's one of the reasons i like the um the hunting action rpg genre so much like games like monster hunter and stuff yes um 
because like the, like those games have like a story and like structured missions like that have a clear sequence but at the end of the day it's like setting your own goals and making your own fun is what makes them yeah. great for me like the decision that like i want to make this weapon what's the yeah. sequence of missions i have to engage in to collect the right things to make that weapon um i really appreciate when games kind of have that more open uh open feeling that allow me to kind of make my own fun yeah yeah and that's exactly what you get here so if you enjoy that sort of thing this is a game well worth checking out absolutely uh other thing i've been playing uh, i mentioned it earlier but i've been playing galgun returns uh which i've been looking forward to for a long time uh so galgun returns is the uh the modern re-release of the original galgun that came out for xbox 360 and ps3 originally uh but didn't get released over here in that version it was a japan only thing until double piece came along um, so yeah, I've been really enjoying seeing where this series came from, seeing where some of its mechanics came from, seeing how the structure and mechanics of the first Galgun are a little bit different from Double Piece, um, and of course discovering that um, yeah, being an Inti Creates game, there's sort of a ton of hidden depth to explore in there as well. So it's not just about sort of uh, shooting targets as quickly as possible, there's a lot of stat manipulation, there's a lot of finding hidden stuff, there's a lot of figuring out exactly how um sort of the various conditions for getting different endings and narrative sequences work and that sort of thing so there's a, a ton of depth to it a whole bunch of unlockables there's like 80 characters to collect the profiles of uh, there's four main narrative routes plus some extra ones that you unlock when you've beaten them all additional game modes it's just a ton of fun absolute ton of fun uh I, i've always loved the galgun games and um this this sort of by virtue of being the first game in the series there are things that some of the subsequent games refined a little bit more but there's also quite a nice simplicity to this one as well um that sort of keeps things focused but yeah i'm having a, a lot of fun with that yeah i was i was curious to see how you were finding it especially you know sometimes it's tough when your intro to a series is later entries and then yeah. to go back to the first one mm -hmm. can be a little jarring so i'm, I'm glad to hear I'm glad yeah. to hear that it's uh, been an enjoyable experience. Yeah, so for those who sort of aren't familiar with the differences in the series, the, the first one we got over here was Galgun Double Piece, which um, sort of in terms of its high-level mechanics was pretty similar. It's a, it's a rail shooter where um, you have girls running towards you and you blast them to make them fall over in quasi-orgasmic ecstasy. And as you progress through the game, there's like several different narrative routes you can pick. Uh, and getting a satisfactory ending in those routes is mostly dependent on choosing the right dialogue choices. Um, in Double Piece, uh, before you started each level, you had a choice of different locations you could go to, so you could choose which your next level was going to be. And each level would have um, a series of requests that you could do along the way as well to, to unlock other stuff and get additional points. And um, uh, they gave you currency that you could upgrade your skills with as well. The first scale gun is much simpler, so it lacks the request side of things, and each heroine's route just sets, it sends you through a predefined sequence of stages rather than giving you a choice. Um, there's no upgrades either, so you can't uh, put yourself in a position where things are much easier because you've upgraded your shot power, or your health, or something like that. What you start the game with is what you end the game with, so it's all down to a combination of your own skill and making the right choices. Um... But also, there are lots of nice things in the game that give you the helpful feedback you need to make those correct choices. So, for example, if you make the correct dialogue choice, it will play a noise that indicates you made the correct dialogue choice. So you don't have to sort of figure things out via sort of uh, 
byzantine methods or looking things up on japanese wikis and that sort of thing like i've been doing them for the last couple of days you, you can actually tell it from the sound effect it makes after that um manipulating your stats in the first gal gun is a bit more important as well um in gal gun double piece there was a a true love mode where you could basically romance any of the secondary characters in the game all 80 of them and in order to do that you had to manipulate your stats but to get through the main narrative routes you didn't really have to worry about it all that much in Galgun Returns, though, uh, in order to get the true ending, to get the best affection rating from the herons, you will need to manipulate your stats a bit. But again, on the interstitial screens between stages, it will indicate if your stats are in the right area by pulsing the bars on there to show that they're in the right area. So there's lots of like little subtle bits of helpful feedback in there that, that mean that it's not a chore to replay anyway because it's only like, like an hour and a half to play through one heroine's route or something like that, but... It doesn't continually frustrate you by making the objectives completely obscured, which is nice. How do you manipulate your stats? What does that um, What does that mean in terms of so like, um, a, a rail it, it, it shooter? Ta- it takes a dating sim style approach. So, at the start of the game, um, the, the 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 whole concept of Galgan, if you've not come across it before, is that uh, your main character Tenzo. Um, he is targeted by this angel called Patako, who is, uh, as her sort of graduation test for Angel Academy, she has to give a human a day in the sun, as she calls it, um, by shooting them with a Cupid's arrow, which gives them a day where they are more likely to find true love. Uh, but unfortunately, she fucks it up and shoots him with 16 of them at the same time, which makes him irresistible to women, uh, apart from the people he might actually be interested in. Um, and so... Uh, he is also cursed by this because humans are only supposed to have three days in the sun in their entire life and he's basically got 16 in one day um so the concept is if he doesn't find true love by the time the sun goes down uh then he will be forever alone and so in order to help him find true love patico interviews him to begin with to determine uh how smart he is how athletic he is how um oh what's the other one uh how how stylish he is and how lewd he is so she asks you a bunch of questions that sort of say how many porn mags have you got under your bed and that sort of thing and that determines your initial stats in intelligence in uh style in athletics and in lewdness um so that's where you start the game but as you go through the game uh there's a mechanic called doki doki mode uh where you charge it up as you successfully shoot girls and uh, you can set it off at any time by picking a goal and pressing a different button on them um and basically what happens there if you successfully do this little mini game that involves pretty much staring at their tits and ass for a few minutes um they they they, they go off like a bomb and they take off every uh, take out everyone who's near them but uh the side effect of that is that it also manipulates your stats each girl that you use that mechanic on they have a different effect on your stats so like if you do it on the nerdy girl she'll put your intelligence up but put your style down and that sort of thing um so you have to learn what effect each girl has on your stats so that you can manipulate them appropriately to get them in the right level for the different heroines Uh, And that's one reason why you might want to collect their profiles, because once you have got their profile in full detail, you'll not only know a bit about the character, you will also know what effect they will have on your stats, so you can plan out things a little bit better. But then there's also things like if you you do that on one of the teachers, they 
tend to have a universally positive effect on your stats whereas the sort of random girls tend to put one up by quite a bit and another one down by quite a bit which might not necessarily be desirable so there's a certain amount of learning what girls will do what um in order to succeed so it takes a bit of experimentation there but again you you get the helpful feedback as you play through the game that will let you do that so that's where sort of a lot of the mechanical interest comes from yeah so they've really really found a clever way to take the light gun style rail shooter and, and kind of address the age-old complaint that they have no replay value yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so so besides Besides the fact that each of the narrative routes has three possible endings, depending on your actions, there is also the collecting of all these profiles. Um, you need to basically collect each girl three times because they have three possible outfits. Uh, and then beyond that, there's like additional modes that you can play on top of there. There's a really fun score attack mode that sort of places a stronger emphasis on getting combos and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's a ton of replay value in this. Cool. I want to play it. Good stuff good stuff um all right um that's pretty much everything i've been playing for the minutes uh so should we take a break there and then we'll come back and talk about music yes all right good stuff all right we'll see you in just a moment Welcome back for our third segment today. We thought we'd have a nice, sort of fairly breezy discussion about some of our favourite first level or first area or beginning of the game songs. Um, so between us, we've got a whole bunch of different things uh, to talk about from a variety of different genres and a variety of different time periods. Uh, so these are going to be in no particular order. These are just things that sort of came to mind as we were thinking about subject matter for this episode. So um, let's start... Uh, with one that I put at the top of my list. Uh, like I say, these are in no particular order. This is just the first one that happened to spring to mind. Uh, and that is the first level music from Dodonpachi Resurrection on iOS. And I say specifically iOS because it's the only version of this game that has this soundtrack in. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Dodonpachi Resurrection, uh, probably know that the, the series is quite well known for having um, a fairly moody, quite sinister soundtrack at times. But for some reason, in one of the game modes on the iOS version, they completely replaced the soundtrack with this incredibly cheerful piece of music. Um, a whole selection of incredibly cheerful pieces of music, in fact, um, that were just... I found them a delight to listen to. They're a bit of an acquired taste for some people because they're very, very, very cheesy. But I've always really liked it. So the, the song in question that I'm talking about here is called Fly Above the Sky. 
and it's from the uh, the iOS specific arrange mode of Dodon Patchy Resurrection. So, I mean, um, hopefully you've had a chance to have a listen to this now. What, what do you have any particular thoughts about this one? Well, um, so I think <laughs> I, I think it's a really good track, and I think it's really emblematic, specifically of the way um, kind of shooters of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, were kind of starting to sound specifically um you know what's interesting is um, i don't know what your history with like cave and dodon and, and the don patchy series specifically um, dodon patchy resurrection on iphone was my first ever bullet hell game not just my first cave game but my first ever bullet hell game okay um and, and so i've got i've obviously got a certain amount of personal attachment to this particular soundtrack for it because it was the first the first music i heard from this series and indeed this whole genre so okay so what's interesting about Do- about the don patchy series is that um right now and like in its current face like don patchy has kind of an anime feel yeah that was not always the case that came mm-hmm. about much later um so like in the original don patchy uh, Don Patchy and Dodon Patchy for the CPS2 arcade board and, and later ported to the Saturn. Um, there were no cute anime girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the music was like hard rock, like like synth, like synthesized hard rock. So it was really, I, I have experience with old Don Patchy. I don't have experience with new anime-ified Don Patchy. So like when you when I saw you had a track from a Dodon Patchy game, I clicked on it, and it was like, oh, it's like cute anime girl carnival. But I'm used, <laughs> I'm used to like 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 electric guitars, like that's well, the Dodon Patchy I'm used to. Like I say, this 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 is the weird thing about this piece of music because they they specifically composed this piece of music for the iOS version. The okay. actual the actual first level music for Dodo and Patchy Resurrection is very different. I'll just try and dig it up right now. Uh, Xbox three sixty OST. Um, and if you have a listen to this, it's completely different in style and tone. And I have no idea why they did it. I really like that they did it, but I have no idea why they did it okay so i've just posted it in the channel but have a listen to this and compare to what you just heard yeah and that's very much more like typical shooter right it's got that yeah. bit of like slow build up and then like into the kind of hectic techno feel yeah and like but you, he, you, but can, you can you can picture how the start of that would go wouldn't it like the start of it is your ship launching and it's got this sort of floaty ethereal music as your ship is coming out the mothership and that sort of thing sure yeah. sure so that's interesting but also still exceedingly different from what from i what you're associate used to. yeah with dodon patchy so um like th- so i'll send you a track and this is what i'm used to hearing from dodon patchy
because I d I never played the like anime girls modern. Oh god, Dodon wow, Pachi. yeah. And that's a very different feel. Yeah. <laughs> than either of the t either of the two tracks you sent me. Like to me, that's that. Like to me, Dodon Patchy, the second Don Patchy game, is like the quintessential bullet hell soundtrack because yeah. it's. I'm stressed just listening to this, and I'm not even. I'm not. I'm not even playing the game, which yeah. <laughs> which is of course, the progenitor of the bullet hell genre. Like the yeah. first game to really have that Danmaku bullet curtain feel, where it was just insurmountable amounts of bullets. Um, so I like this. I like this track, but it was such a surprise to me that it was coming from a Don Patchy series <laughs> game, because I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, it's just a it, it's a, a piece of music whose very existence I find fascinating, and I actually found it quite disappointing when I picked up Dodon Patchy Resurrection on Xbox 360, and there are some downloadable music packs, but this specific soundtrack is nowhere to be seen outside of the iOS version. They've never re-released it, and huh. I don't I don't really know why. But yeah, the only place you can hear that that track in context is the iOS release of Dodon Patchy Resurrection, which I don't even know if you can play on modern iOS devices. Um, so you, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Now, does the game itself have like a bubblegumified presentation that matches that, or is it just no? This but it is does. It does music? have. It does have unique mechanics for the mode where you hear that music. Um, so there is. It, it was an iOS specific mode uh, where you. <laughs> Well, you had you had an S and M meter. I can't remember. I can't remember what S and M actually stood for, but it was basically um, if you shot things, if you, if you sort of held down the fire button and shot things, then the meter would go in one direction and you get less points. Whereas if you stopped firing and picked stuff up, the meter would go in another direction and the the all the collectibles would be worth more points. So you had to you had to find a balance and try and keep this meter in the middle. So you got a good balance between generating collectibles and them being actually worth points. Um, so it was a, it was a very very different sort of mechanic to what Dodon Patchy Resurrection's normal mechanic is, which is heavily combo based. Um, but yeah, they they, devel they developed whole new mechanics specifically for this version, as well as changing the soundtrack as well. So it's a, it's a really interesting and unique moment in Cave's history. That's cool, and. and, and now that you explain that, it starts to make sense to me because um, I don't know how much you, you know, I know you've educated yourself a bit on like the Turbo Graphics era and the PC Engine thanks to the episode we dedicated to your acquisition of the PC Engine Mini, but like yeah. part of like the early days of like shmups as a genre, um, specifically in the old 8-bit eras, was these caravan modes, yeah. um, which yeah. were also sometimes called carnival modes. Um, which were just modifications of games where um, score was everything. It was yeah. literally just like a shortened period of competitive score with occasionally new mechanical wrinkles thrown in to encourage score chasing. Um, <laughs> so when you think about it in the context of a carnival mode, yeah. it it's kind of makes sense that this, there's this upbeat celebratory tone to this music in a mode that's focusing on um, unique scoring mechanics and score yeah. chasing in, in a unique and new way. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. All right, well, that was my first one. Uh, so I thought we'd, uh, we'd start with a, an interesting one that generated a nice amount of discussion. Uh, where do you want to begin with your picks? 
Uh, we'll start off with the first one on my list, the uh, level one theme from Natsume's Shadow of the Ninja. Yep. Not a game I'm super familiar with, but yeah, I, I'm sort of vaguely familiar with it in passing. But I don't think it's one I've played myself. Is, is this one you played back in the day? Yes, this was mm-hmm. as a kid, probably second only to Castlevania in terms of being absolutely obsessed. Yeah. Um, you know, now I've come to understand as an adult that this game actually has a bit of a cult following. Um, to the point where Limited Run, um, I believe they've just closed pre-orders on it, but last month Limited yeah. Run actually did a cartridge reprint of it with like art, special artwork. And uh, it's part of kind of this series of side-scrollers that Natsume was kind of um, famous for back in the 8-bit Nintendo era. Um, and there was a couple of them. Um, Another one being Shatterhand that they were quite famous for. Yep. yep. Um, and, and they had this very specific look and feel and sound. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think some people consider Shadow of the Ninja a ripoff of Ninja Gaiden, but that's not really accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two series actually intersect in interesting ways. Like, um, a, a really cool piece of trivia is um, the Ninja Gaiden game on the Game Boy is actually... Um, Shadow of the Ninja's Game Boy version, oh, <laughs> and, and it was developed by not, and it was it was developed by Natsume, not Tecmo, and it was brought over as as Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. Um. So so there's some intersection <laughs> of mechanics in between the two games. Um. You're a ninja. You're you can cling to walls. Um. But where Shadow of the Ninja uh, deviate quite a bit from. Uh, Ninja Gaiden, which had more of like a modern day setting or, or, and like kind of like had like monsters and like bio stuff. Yeah. Um, Shadow of the Ninja is more like taking place in this weird like techno organic future. So you're fighting like cool robots and like giant tanks and like the final boss of the game has these like massive like mecha dragons that like shoot at you. But mm-hmm. um, the, the, I guess the big thing here is the music. So, so the music here is composed by. Um, uh, oh boy, what's his name? Do, 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 do. Uh, Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, who uh, worked with Natsume forever. Still, still does work with Natsume. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what's interesting about the, you know this soundtrack is, um, I don't know about you, but like I have certain expectations about soundscapes when ninjas are involved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and what's cool about Shadow of the Ninja is it kind of hits the nail on the head for me in a lot of ways because uh, it, it has these opening tones with kind of a build-up, and it very much captures the feeling of infiltration. Yes, yeah. Like, secret agent infiltration. Like, you're a ninja, um, you know, 
the game actually follows a very specific infiltration structure when you play mm -hmm. uh, when you when you break the levels down one by one. So like level one where the where you hear this music is very specifically this dramatic setting where you're you're on a ship. The ship brings you in. You're, the ship is bringing you in to the dock, and it's a pouring rain. So this is the music that's playing while you're fighting on this ship in the pouring rain to get to the city that's being overrun by this dictator. Um, and then the second, like level one, two, is the dock. All right, then you play on the dock. And then yep. you fight the boss. Then le the level two one is the sewers as you're going down in the sewers to infiltrate the city. Then it's a factory. And then eventually you work your way to the headquarters, which is a skyscraper and has like an elevator sequence. Like the game actually uses its level of design to tell a very like A to B narrative. Mm -hmm. So yep. this, this track specifically does a really good job of just like setting that narrative up wordlessly. Yeah. Of like this is the infiltration mission. You are the last hope of the people in this city who are oppressed by this guy, and it does this really great job of like starting off with this like secret agent, da -da 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 and then then it builds to this like really triumphant like crescendo, just like celebrating the ninja. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like I, I, this track is so good. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. There's um there's a comment on the YouTube video of this soundtrack that I really like that I think sums it up nicely, which is uh, this is attributed to Johnny Norris Jr. from nine months ago, and he says there's just something about this that sets it apart from Ninja Turtles, Ninja Gaiden, or Revenge of Shinobi. Those themes are personal; they are dire, desperate, the sound of danger. This, on the other hand, sounds like two professionals going to work. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's it's. There's a lot of things that are contributing to that. There's a, a lot of it is all to do with that driving rhythm in the background. There's this sort of constant and quite complex rhythm patterns going on in the drums of this that it, sort of give it that real push forwards. But yeah, this is, this, is, this is exactly the sort of first level music that I really like. And there's a lot of NES games that do this really well. This is yeah. sort of a very iconic sounding NES piece of music. I mean, there's a theory I have, which I think we've discussed prior in like building up to this episode over the over the months where we discussed doing like a level one music episode but like i have an unofficial theory that the first level music of a game is that game's theme yeah yeah like yeah, do, do you know do, do you know what i mean like the first level music of a game should tell you everything you need to know about that game's like tone yeah. and setting and like that's that game's theme and i always associate that first level music with the game specifically like they're yeah. always intrinsically tied into my head yeah yeah that's something that i'm not sure it's as true today as it used to be but certainly up until about sort of the 1632 bit era or so that was sure. definitely very much the case well, um when levels sort of were a thing <laughs> yeah exactly exactly with sort of the shift towards more sort of open open games and more cinematic structures and that sort of thing the the way that soundtracks work is it, very different in a lot of games these days but yeah I, I mean i've got a couple of rpgs on my list as well where that's still valid as well where mm -hmm. you can think of it as that game's theme yeah, and, and I tried um, to fight hard to whittle it down to ten. Like I hope this, <laughs> this will have to be a theme we kind of return to annually or something. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. There's so many, and and 
as I was going through, I mean, I have in my iTunes specifically a playlist that's just first area game music playlist. Oh, good, good. I do as well. <laughs> it's a. It's, I, I it's have a, first. I have first level music and I have final boss music as playlists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are mine too. I have boss music, final boss music, first area game music, and RPG battle tunes. But yep. first area game music is 145 tracks. Yeah, it's just yeah. the first level of every game I happen to have the soundtrack for. Yeah, um, yeah. Because to me, nothing is more evocative of that oh, game totally, than, totally. than its first level music. So I really hope we can come back to this because it's um, every every track on that 145 track playlist I can talk about for a different reason, for the different Good. feelings it evokes, the different ways it communicates that game's yeah. personality. Like, yeah. it's so important. Yeah. I'm I'm 100% the same. I love talking about game music, and we sh we should do it more often. So yeah, let's make an effort to do that a bit more often. Okay, um, the next one I want to bring up uh, ties in very nicely with what you've just said uh, as well. And the the one I want to bring up next is uh, the first level music from the shareware version of Rise of the Triad. And I say specifically the shareware version because Rise of the Triad was unusual among shareware games in that um, the shareware version was completely different to the uh, the full version. Most shareware games of the period would give you like an episodic structure where you you would get the shareware version as one episode, and then when you register it and paid the price for it, you would get episodes two, three, four, five, six. Rise of the Triad, on the other hand, made a completely different game for its shareware version, and then when you bought the full version you got a game where you didn't have to play through the same 10, le 10 levels again you just got straight into something new however the one thing that disappointed me slightly about the full version of rise of the triad was that the first level music was not anywhere near as good as the first level music in the shareware version <laughs> this track is amazing <laughs> it's Do you know who composed this um it's a guy called lee jackson i think he did quite a lot of stuff for in fact he's, he's the first comment on the youtube video i sent you lee jackson he did quite a lot of stuff for apogee at the time um this this piece of music really hit me hard for a lot of reasons it was it's exactly the sort of um kind of energetic dramatic music that i expect from a first level uh it actually inspired me to try and recreate some of these sounds in my own experimentation with music technology at the time as well because uh, i think around the time rise of the triad came out i would have been doing either gcse or a level music at school uh, and part of the your studies there is doing some composition and so as part of experimenting with different styles of music and that sort of thing i took a lot of inspiration from the games i was playing and the, the soundtracks i was listening to and this was one that had a huge impact on me things like the the use of the sort of twangy bass sound at the bottom and the square wave synth and the energetic drum beats in the background and so on this is absolutely one of the finest pieces of music from pc gaming of the era i mean um, this is a compliment when i when i'd never played i never played this game neither the shareware nor the regular version i have no i've almost zero experience especially with older pc gaming uh -huh. but i was i was legitimately surprised this was not from a japanese game yeah 
Yeah. This sounds like a shmup track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, Rise of the Tri soundtrack as a whole is really, really good. And it's it's a, a doubly impressive achievement when you consider that at the time this came out, there was no consistency in what a PC game sounded like because some people had an ad-lib sound card, which sounded a bit like sort of Mega Drive FM synthesis. Some people had a wavetable card, which sounded a bit more like what the Super NES offered. And so when Lee Jackson was composing this, he had to bear all of those things in mind and think that, okay, is this going to sound good on FM synthesis? Is this going to sound good on wavetable synthesis? Is this is this going to sound good on all these different possible setups? And he nailed it. He nailed it. This sounds great, as great on a Sound Blaster Pro as it does on a Gravis Ultrasound. Um, I don't know if any of that means anything to you, but old school PC gamers will know what I'm talking about. But and they will know what an achievement that is as well. <laughs> but yeah, Rise of the Tri soundtrack in general is really good. A lot of it is very energetic like this, but then every few levels it will present you with something that is sort of a bit more down-tempo, that sort of kind of it's not downtime as such because you're still racing around at high speed shooting things but just the the change in tone of the music just kind of gives you a, a moment to catch your breath a bit before things get hectic again rise of the triad also has an amazing boss theme as well that i'll show you with you right now uh, if i can find it boss theme uh is it this one yes here we are Um, this is another one that I found incredibly striking when I first heard it, uh, just because of its mostly through to its use of percussion in this one. This was a very sort of almost almost cinematic style piece of music. Um, as you say, you don't know much about Rise of the Tried. It was originally intended to be a sequel to Wolfenstein 3D, um, okay. and, tra and tracks like this are where that is most apparent, I think, because you've got this very sort of march-like rhythm in the background. Yeah, it's military yeah. in tone. Yeah. But this imagine is like storming the beaches of Normandy. Yeah. Time to take the base down. Yeah. But this this music tends to be accompanied by you are fighting some sort of um Rise of the Triad is really weird because it's got this blend of like people in World War One uniforms and then like ridiculous fantasy and mech stuff as well. So like when you hear this piece of music, you are probably fighting some sort of giant robot that has an evil dictator inside it. <laughs> sure. Which follows suit with Wolfenstein. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, for that, sure. that that is def definitely one of my favourites. And and in fact, going down the fast way, which is the one that, that I first I first showed you that. that that is probably one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about this subject yeah. in the first place. I just can't imagine this track in a first person shooter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. What that would right. feel like. Because I'm used to first person shooters having either like no music or mm -hmm. like kind of down tempo music or like yeah. rock or like military. Like I'm when, not I, I can't imagine this like synthy business. Yeah. Well, you know when you know when people talk about how they they prefer the feel of '90s shooters and they prefer that '90s shooters are sort of high speed and that sort of thing. Rise of the Triad, although technologically a bit more primitive than stuff like Doom, 
um, is probably the most the best example of the ridiculous 90s shooter because it is incredibly fast there is a heavy emphasis on using rocket launchers there is um, sort of some light platforming there is collecting sparkly things to get extra lives and stuff so it's 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 not like a modern first person shooter where it's trying to immerse you in the environment rise of the tried fucking loves the fact that it is a video game and it doesn't let you forget that at any point <laughs> lovely it sounds great i mean you know me um i'm not opposed to first person shooters uh-huh. um you know i have ion Fu- i have a physical copy of ion fury on pre-order <laughs> like i i'm not opposed, especially this older style but um yeah, I just I like this. I like when they have a bit of an arcadey feel. I like stuff yep. like Serious Sam and and um, you know we had mentioned Dark Watch a little while ago, mm-hmm. uh, and of course um, you know we always talk about the modern reboots of um, Shadow Warrior on here. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I love that stuff. Just mm-hmm. I don't like like shooty military mans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rise of the Triad is about as far from that as you can get. So. If you get the opportunity to check it out, that's well worth doing. The, the reboot they did a few years back was was very true to the original as well. Actually, it had it included um, sort of modern remixes of a lot of these pieces of music that Lee Jackson oh, originally cool. composed. They um, must have it, known. Yeah, exactly. They they knew exactly what they were doing. So, yeah, worth checking out. Cool. All right, what is next on your list? Super Castlevania Four. Now, I promised myself I would only include one Castlevania track today <laughs> because this could have just been 10 Castlevania tracks. But um, just Super Castlevania 4's level one music, uh, the theme of Simon, uh, yep. which it doesn't get more epic than that, the, the theme of the most famous vampire hunter in Castlevania, Simon Belmont. Um is one of the more iconic tracks of Castlevania history. Up up mm-hmm. there with Bloody Tears and Vampire Killer. Yep. Um, now, I, I didn't include Vampire Killer um, today, which is kind of the most iconic Castlevania track, right? That's the level one of Castlevania 1 theme yep. song. Um, super iconic. But I, I wanted to talk about the theme of Simon for a couple of reasons. Um, composed by Taro Kudo and Masanori Adachi. Um, you know, Castlevania music is always the best of the best. Um, but very few tracks when I was young utterly, like, blew me away and gave me the goosebumps in the same yeah. way that Theme of Simon does. And there is a reason for a lot of that. And some of it ties back to some of the same design elements I was talking about in regards to Shadow of the Ninja. Um, one of the things I love about old side-scrollers from this 8- and 16-bit era is when they did do that wordless, textless narrative and world-building simply yes. through stage design. And the opening moments of Castlevania IV are a masterclass in this, right? So yeah. uh, you start very specifically in this desolate, 
realm outside of Dracula's castle. There's some music playing. It's it's very ambient tones, just like coming in and out gently as you kind of walk up and down these steps, collect a couple power-ups, then the drawbridge to the castle drops and you enter the enter the castle proper. And that's when it all happens, right? Yeah. This giant wrought iron gate like hauntedly just like comes out of the ground like thunderously shaking covered in vines and ivy and then bam these these synth organs on the nintendo soundboard start blaring in (laughs) it's just the classic like bella lugosi dracula horror organ style sound you expect but then it also becomes rock and roll like castlevania has always even in the early 8-bit days of of one through three has always flirted with like rock inspired um sounds and chord progressions yeah but um you know the technology of the super nintendo soundboard allowed them to do that in a way that was a lot more overt yeah um yeah or these organ sounds actually kind of sound like organ sounds. The, the more layers of drum and bass. Um, you know, Ninten- Super Nintendo specifically always did a really good job with deep bass tones. Yes. Um, and I don't know music or, or sound text. Like, you know, you might know the terminology better than I do, but there's just a very specific sound to that Super Nintendo, like, on like the vibration of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, the composers of the Castlevania series in many interviews often talk very specifically about being inspired by um, 60s and 70s English prog rock. Mm -hmm. Um, Bands like Yes, King Crimson, Triumvirate, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, uh, Gentle Giant. Um, And a lot of those bands were very famous for often incorporating electric organ into their music. So in in a lot of ways, this tune feels like this triumphant hard-tinged Japanese progressive rock on the 16-bit celebrating the heroism of of Simon Belmont, but also giving you that flavor of horror and spooky Castlevania theme. It's just everything. Yeah. It's just everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I like... Super Castlevania 4 isn't my favorite Castlevania soundtrack by any means, but mine either. But this track one thing, is. one thing that I do particularly like about it is that it is an incredibly iconic example of what the Super NES sounds like. Yes. If someone if someone says what did the Super NES music sound like, I would play them this track because it does everything that a good Super NES track should do. It's got those digital drums, it's got the organs, it's got the twangy bass lines, it's got that sort of thing. Super NES had a really distinctive sound that you mentioned there because of the way it synthesized sound so the mega drive and genesis used fm synthesis which is basically generating waveforms uh on the fly that were designed to resemble particular instruments so it, it it's it's a bit like how the nes worked but the the nes was much more limited in the range of waveforms that it could produce um whereas fm had a lot more flexibility but it was still effectively generating sounds from scratch uh, which meant that they often didn't end up sounding quite like what they were supposed to. Now, oddly enough, I don't know the science behind it, but apparently an organ is very easy to synthesize with FM synthesis, which is why in certain Mega Drive and Genesis tracks, 
uh, you will get really convincing organ sounds, but then everything else might sound a bit tinny or whatever. The Super NES works a little bit differently. It worked with a system called wavetable synthesis, which is instead of generating the waveforms for the different instruments on the fly, it would take something that was pre-generated, often an actual sample of a particular instrument, uh, and then it would do things like it would pitch shift that, it would apply effects to it, it would apply reverb and echo and delay and stuff to it to, to create those distinctive sounds. So you might be familiar with sort of a lot of Super NES uh, pieces of music. They have very similar sort of, if we take an example of this track here, the trumpet sound you hear in this piece of music you will also hear in other places you'll hear it in things like the zelda theme you'll hear it in th mm -hmm. you'll even hear it in like mario games and that sort of thing that's because the the super nes was working with this very almost sort of predefined bank of instruments it was a very large bank of instruments but it was still a predefined bank of instruments which basically meant that the super nes had a much more specific sound to it than a lot of other consoles at the time and that's one of the things I really like about the Super NES is, uh, in terms of sound of music. You can instantly mm -hmm. recognize the Super NES piece of music yes. from the sounds that are being used. And this piece of music is a great example of that because it's using most of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah, it's very cool. Um, you know, and, and you're right about Castlevania 4 not being an example of one of the stronger Castlevania soundtracks specifically I think to me because most of the music in Castlevania 4 especially in the middle stages is mostly just kind of ambient yes um, yes that, 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 that's exa exactly why I, I don't think it's not that I don't like it it's just that in Castlevania I prefer a bit more obvious uh, sort of melody to it like yes, I really like Michiru yes. Yamane's work because every track that Michiru Yamane does for Castlevania is incredibly memorable Mm -hmm. uh, in yeah. in terms of the tune, like you could you could sing any song from Symphony of the Night because it's got a clear tune to it. Whereas Castlevania Four takes a much more atmospheric approach in its middle stages, as you say, which and works in context, but it's not necessarily something that I would want to listen to as much outside of the game itself. Yeah, yeah, it's particularly disappointing because of the strength of this opening level track. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then and it. <laughs> It all loops back then later, though. The in the end stages, it brings back Super Nintendo-ified remixes of the classics. So, like, the last yeah. levels have Bloody Tears, Vampire Killer, for the first time with the Super Nintendo sound. Yeah. A and it's amazing. Yeah. But, like, those those middle chunk of stages, it's, it's mostly ambient, like, gentle stuff. Um, so so yeah. it's, it has a very different flavor than the rest of the series. In context, though, I can see that working brilliantly because can, can you imagine, like, for the first time, you, you're familiar with the NES Castlevania and then you play through Super Castlevania for the first time and you get to these later stages and those themes that you're so familiar with from the previous game suddenly come back. Can you imagine how good that would feel? I know how good it felt. <laughs> I'm sure you do, yeah. <laughs> I was there. It's, yeah. uh, um, it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. Um, it felt it felt the same way as I don't know. Are you a, have you ever watched the animated series? I still haven't. No, I must do that. I must. So the do castle that. the Castlevania animated series has no Castlevania music in it. Yeah, it's all just original music, except for the second last episode when Trevor, Sypha, and Alucard finally break into the castle. And then there's yeah. a ma there's a massive showdown with all of Dracula's vampire generals, and 
it's it's one of the best animated sequences I've ever seen in my life. Like just like everything's on full display, like the magic and Alucard's transformations, and it's just the, the orchestration of the action so that everything falls together like a puzzle. It's beautiful and brilliant. But what makes this one of the best scenes in all animation history is as soon as they kick the door open of the castle, bloody tears comes in. Ah, wonderful. And it is the only time. There's Castlevania music in the Castlevania animated series. Yeah. Is for that fight. And it's the reward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I'll probably have to go watch that sequence again. And the, nice. and the only reason I've never sent you that clip is because I feel like you have to earn it. And you have to watch yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. season one and two and earn it. Um, but yeah, I mean. Music in Castlevania, and we'll come back to it, but this uh, this track, Theme of Simon, in particular, kind of encapsulates everything to me that's wonderful about Castlevania music. The rock influence, the horror influence, the, the narrative world building tied to the stage design. It's just a masterclass. Yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. All right, staying with the gothic theme then, uh, I want to go on to the Death Smiles soundtrack uh, and the first level of Death Smiles, which is Burning Halloween Town. one of my favorite <laughs> tracks from shoot 'em ups just because yeah. <laughs> on on the one hand i mean it's got this wonderful gothic feel to it but it's also got that distinctive i guess it's 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 veering on that sort of anime side of things like you're talking about again so like you've got this incredibly dramatic organ heavy opening with like uh, ominous chanting in the background and then it goes into like sort of synth piano and like driving drum rhythms and that sort of thing i love this track so much it's so good yeah it's lovely. Um, we've talked about this a lot before, um, specifically a couple years back when we did a, a Halloween-themed episode where we very specifically wanted to talk about games that were not horror games, but had a spooky Halloween-appropriate theme. So, like, stuff like this that has, like, like ooh, it's cheeky, it's horror, here comes the organ. Like, I can't <laughs> get enough of this shit jack-o'-lanterns and skulls and crows and bats like that like that is perfect yeah perfect yeah. halloween game music yeah De death smiles is yeah I mean, I mean the whole game is like that the whole game is a very tongue-in-cheek approach to horror so like you, you sort of fly through your graveyards and there's like skeletons coming out of the ground and stuff but it's the whole thing just the atmosphere is like it's very like Ooh, spooky scary skeletons and that sort yeah, of thing I mean, like and then it combines that with stuff like there's there's like a boss that's a giant cow and <laughs> <laughs> I mean you're talking to a guy who had who has to date in the past month invested about 80 hours of his life making a giant painting of a pyro jack from Shin Megami Tensei. Yep. <laughs> so like, yep. Like you don't have to sell spooky scary skeletons to me. <laughs> this is my this is my jam. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's, it's wonderful and just like like I say this this just sort of hits all of the perfect notes for me in terms of a, a first level track it's energetic it's got a clear tune to it it's something that you look forward to hearing again when you start that that game over for the umpteenth time because it's a shoot em up you play it lots of times you will hear this piece of music probably more than anything else in the game depending on how you choose to play shoot em ups and it's an absolute pleasure to hear it every time every time it comes up yeah, uh, I regrettably have never played any of the games in this series, which is oh. something I have, I have to oh. rectify that immediately so that I can meet my lord and savior, Tyranno Satan. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, what's next on your list? We have got... Oh, oh, we got a good one. We got a good one. The first theme from the first East, the first yes. steps towards wars. Um, specifically for me, the PC Engine CD version, um, mm-hmm. as I have no experience with the original uh, PC and the PC ninety eight or whatever whatever PC platform East was originally launched. Yeah. I don't have experience with those versions, um, but you know, hey, I'll talk about East some more today. Um, Yay! <laughs> so you know, this track, first of all, Yuzo Koshiro, right? Like mm-hmm. the the legend. This was one of his earliest, one of his earlier tracks, and one of the earliest tracks that he kind of gained um, a lot of notoriety for was his early work with Falcom. Yeah, uh, before he founded Ancient, before he did Streets of Rage, like this was early him um, when he did this working with Falcom. Um, and much like many of the tracks I'll discuss, it just it perfectly communicates the themes of the game wordlessly, right? This song yeah. sounds like so many things, and very specifically, it sounds like the thrill of adventure, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like the the whole narrative of Ease um, is kind of loose, and like the games kind of tie together, but not episodically in such a way that you can play them out of sequence and be bothered by it. But one thing that connects all Ease games is that Adol Kristen is an adventurer. Yep, he doesn't speak. He doesn't have a personality. He's defined entirely by his love of adventure and, and, and his, his desire to explore and to see the world, to help people when he can. And this track is that. It's the quintessential, I'm setting out on an adventure, thrill of the unknown, before things get too daunting, before things get too scary, before things get too heavy. This is, this is the, the theme of setting out with confidence and looking toward new horizons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and besides that, it even mechanically harkens back to everything that Ease is all about, which is that quicker pacing, that sense of action. Even the first Ease games where you didn't even have an attack button and you basically had to run into foes just by like running into them to damage yeah. them. My buddies and I used to call it the football RPG. Um, <laughs> it's... It's del- it's a deliberate evocation of 
that this is this is no this is no deliberate Zelda title. This is no slowly paced puzzle solving overhead RPG. This is an action game with that overhead setting. And yep. just, First Steps Towards War communicates all that mm-hmm. brilliantly and succinctly. It's just yep. you know, and I remember too, like they they even reused a lot of the music in the anime. So like, there's this great scene where like this base is getting marauded by monsters and like Adel's storming in from the outside. He takes all the monsters out that are storming the castle, like from the outside of the castle. And this is playing on like electric guitars wailing. And it's just like, <laughs> like this to me has always just been Adel's theme. I mean, there's yeah. been like Adel's themes and like other ease games down the years. But like, to me, this theme communicates everything Adel is all about. Just like the yeah. strength of the mighty adventurer. Yeah, yeah. You um, you mentioned specifically the PC Engine version there. What do you think of the uh, the Chronicles version? Um, is that the DS one? The Chronicles one is the the PSP and PC one. I actually never played that version. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So the the um the PC version of Chronicles certainly. I don't know about the PSP one, but the PC version actually allows you to switch between three different versions of the soundtrack. So you've got this oh, this modern cool. remix. Um, you've got the PC Engine version, and you've got the original PC88 soundtrack as well, so you can play it with all three of them. That's neat. Um, th- this was my first experience with with Ease One was the the Chronicle soundtrack, and although it's a little bit different to the PC Engine version, I really like this version because it's got those those wailing guitars and that sort of thing, and I think they fit really well with this track. There's a certain hint of um sort of uh, muso to this one i think with the okay. specific guitar sound that they're using just the this sort of tuneful melodic guitar is is very muso it's I not quite as energetic as some of the muso tracks it's got a different sort of overall feel to it but the actual the actual sort of timbre of the sound is very similar to this uh, is the version the from the games. anime oh right okay so they use the same one that's cool yeah that's the version from the anime um yeah great it's great yeah, I never played Chronicles. I know I should. I know it's a particularly well-regarded version, but uh-huh. they're just they're just reached a point in my life when that game came out. Wait, a I wasn't doing too well financially when that game came out, so I had to be more picky yeah. and choosy about what I bought. And the <laughs> I was like, if I ha- if I have to rebuy East One and Two one more time. <laughs> 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 Like I, what, PC, you, you mean you, you mean you don't already have it for PC eighty eight PC Engine Master System? <laughs> yeah, ex- ex- exactly, exactly. You oh know, I, but I, I, I had the PC Engine version. I had the DS version, which is kind of controversial. Yeah. I had play. I had I'd owned and played at one point the import PSP remakes that they yeah. did. Like I was just like, I don't. I don't need to storm the Tower of Darm ever again, <laughs> ever. So I just. <laughs> time, time, time has softened my opinion on that. I was going to say, prob- give it a few years, and you think, oh, I really fancy storming the Tower of Darm again. And then you no, can do I- that in Ease One, and then you can do it in Ease Origin all over again. So. Yeah, I, I want to buy it specifically because, uh, of course, the good folks at Xseed did this beautiful thing where, where if you get Ease Seven, Ease Othenfell, Ghana, and Chronicles One and Two, the spines all make the Ease logo. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I don't know if they did that in your region. Well, no, they didn't. I don't, don't, I don't think XC they got physical releases at all over here. Yeah, so, so if you, like if my, you buy... my sole experience with with that particular generation of Ease games is all on the PC versions that are on Steam. 
Yeah, yeah. So the spines of each of those has a segment of the E's logo. Oh, so I if you them. buy all three of them, you have this. You have a big orange E's on your shelf. This is uh, revenge for the Final Fantasy XIV thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> mayhaps, mayhaps. But yeah, uh, PSP's region free, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's so it's just yeah. a case of tracking tracking down copies of them yeah, and importing yeah. them. But uh, so I have seven. All right, I'll look into Oath. it. I'll look into it. <laughs> I, have, I have seven. I have Oath and Felgana, but I don't have Chronicles one and two. So I got the Y, but I don't got the S. Oh, disappointing. <laughs> disappointing. So uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a cool looking set together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get out there, buy them UMDs in 20, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm I've, I have a P- I'm I'm re falling in love with the PSP. I want to buy. I love the PSP. Uh, yeah. The, the only thing I wish was a bit better about the PSP was is TV output for for taking screenshots and video, because yeah. I've I've got one of those AV cables, but the the quality of the output is such ass that I can't really use anything from it, which is a shame. But well, I, I believe saying- there are there are HDMI converters that exist. I haven't looked into those yet, but I think Metal Jesus covered one of those a while back, yep. so I might mm-hmm. have to look into those. Yep, I was just about to say Hyperkin's got an HDMI output cable for it that you can buy. It's about $30. Hmm. Uh, and if you pair that with... Um, uh, I don't remember the name of the company. It's like M something. They have a thing that's called the Classics, and it's just a little dongle. That's an upscaler. Now that's about a yeah. hundred dollars. But if you pair one of those HDMI output sets with that hundred dollar classics upscaler, you can get yeah. some really impressive effects out of it. And like that's on my list of like shit to buy. Yeah. So I can revisit some of the goofy stuff of the PSP era. But that's an yeah. episode in itself. Weird weird PSP RPGs Yes, definitely is an episode definitely. in and of itself. Definitely. All right, uh, moving on. Next one on my list then um, actually has quite a similar feel to that E track, which is the the first level music from Blaster Master Zero. It's actually it's actually the same music from the beginning of the original Blaster Master, but uh, sort of integratified uh, with it, their enhanced sure. retro sound. In fact, one of the first comments on the YouTube video I sent you is, "This is how the NES version sounded in my head as a kid." Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, that's a- uh, again. In, in fact, in terms of sort of melodic structure, this this piece of music is actually very similar to the one we just listened to. Um, it's got yeah. a very similar sort of style of uh, melody and the harmonies in the background and again you've got those driving rhythms that make you want to sort of push onwards and, and do that sort of thing that's quite a common pattern in, in a lot of these tracks that we're listening to they, they've all got this very energetic high speed complex rhythm section and that's a big part of what gives you that initial burst of energy that you need to, to push onwards in, in particularly in an action game um, and Blaster Master Zero does that absolutely perfectly I think it's yeah. just a wonderful theme it's a, a memorable tune uh, and it sets the mood perfectly it fits perfectly with what is going on on screen um, because you're, you're this sort of weird little bouncy tank thing and you're hopping around and you're blasting things that look oddly cheerful despite the fact they're trying to kill you and yeah it's it's a pleasure you're off on an adventure and this is this yeah. is your theme yeah just like i was saying with east it's like you are a young man setting off into the unknown the thrill of the unknown is in front of you you're not afraid of it you're ready to face it this is what that sounds like 
yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and again like i say th this this is based specifically on on the original nes version of blaster master but a lot of integrates games follow this this same sort of formula with their initial soundtracks so like if you play the first level mighty gun vault burst again that's got a very similar feel to this uh the beginning of the gun vault games it's a bit more sort of moody and atmospheric but it's still got that energy to it it's still got that feeling that you're setting out on some sort of grand adventure and that and that you're ready for it it's not something you're reluctant to do it's something you want to do yeah it's great absolutely yeah cool i, mean, I always loved no that theme i always loved the nes version i had blast yeah. blaster master growing up yeah yeah it's i hated the game but i like that music <laughs> like, it was yeah. way too hard for me to figure out when i was a kid but yeah, yeah. i used to love that track yeah i mean as, as someone who didn't really grow up with the nes that much blaster master was was pretty much new to me when i came across blaster master zero for the first time so it was a, a real pleasure to discover but yeah i can absolutely hear that that would fit in perfectly with nes soundtracks at the time it albeit in a slightly simplified form over what the the version in zero is but it, it would still have the same effect it would still it would still sound like that basically yeah all right what's next for you all right we're talking bayard first day we're doing burning force <laughs> Yes, yes. One of the most memorable themes in this list today, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's nothing. There's zero flaws with Bayard First Day. Uh, composed by Yoshinori Kawamoto. Uh, I specifically have memories associated with the Mega Drive version. I never played the original. I never played the arcade original until years later on Main. Yeah. Um, so, like, the, the Mega Drive version... Uh, which you can also hear on the uh, Evercade Namco Collection number two cart, which is yep. great, um, is just lovely. Um, so like the whole the whole premise of Burning Force from a narrative standpoint is that you are a young cadet in a piloting simulator learning the ropes on this high-tech hover bike. Um, and there's just something about the way this track sounds, like with its little like bleeps and bloops that communicates like, tutorial to me like let's learn how to use a computer bloop 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 yeah bloop 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 like and that and then so it's that it's that like let's learn how to use a computer kids like sound <laughs> pair, paired with this absolute absolute unmistakable sunny upbeat 1980s sound like yeah. miami vice like you're on the beach baby let's fly over the water which is exactly what's happening in the first level of burning force um it's just 1989 the end the end of the 80s this this pleasant vaporwave synth feel and it's just it's it's bright and it's sunny and it's techno and it's just oh god i i love this track so much <laughs> yeah oh it's great it's great and it's also got that iconic mega drive sound about it as well yeah In fact, I I, i'm looking through the again looking through the comments on the youtube video this and a fair few people saying that they actually prefer the mega drive sound to the um original arcade version I do, but I don't know if that's just nostalgia or I genuinely like the sound better. I don't have an unbiased opinion on that. 
they, they they aren't they are different because I mean there's there there are sort of similar synth noises in both, um, but that, like there's a big difference again in the percussion sound of things as well because the the Mega Drive could do sampled drums, uh, but for the most part it used synthesized drums and that gives it a very distinctive sound to it. Yeah, um, and you've got you've got a lot of that in um, the Burning Force music. You've you, you've got that distinct. This sounds like a Mega Drive game, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, oh yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, what I was talking about with the distinctive way the Super NES sounds, this sounds like a Mega Drive game. This, this is what the Mega Drive sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It has, it has that like whiny sound that I think yeah. was the Genesis trying to do a guitar. Like I don't. Yeah. yeah that, that is, <laughs> that is absolutely, the, that is absolutely <laughs> the closest that FM synthesis can get to an electric guitar. And it was like a running joke amongst musicians for a long time. It's like, just, just, just don't, just don't use that sound. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> always use that sound use that sound for minutes it's my favorite i love i was a genesis kid i didn't have a super nintendo until i was an adult so yeah. like fm to me is my youth you know yeah. Yeah. continuing this theme we're having of reading user comments there's a a fella down here uh going by the name Darkbone every morning back in the 90s <laughs> like 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 yes yes um when I was, I don't know, early 20s and like cell phones first had the ability to have MP3s set as ringtones, this was my alarm. Yep. This was my wake up alarm. Yep. Cause uh -huh. it's very much like, get up, start the day. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I can see that working. I can see that working very well. I've actually, I've actually got two pieces from Atelier Lulu waking me up at the moment, but I might have to replace them with this and see if that works a bit better. <laughs> Cause like, it's like Italian music is all like very nice. It's like, oh, you should probably get up. It's 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 a nice day, but you know, if you feel like staying in bed, it's probably all right. Whereas this is get up, <laughs> but not an unpleasant get up. It's not like get up, fuck you. It's get up, you can do this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I love it. Like, Absolutely like, love it. Like, don't set that dote on patchy track I sent you. <laughs> oh my god! What's going on? Is my house on fire? Like, don't do that. Oh dear. Yeah. All right. Uh, continuing on, what have we got next? Uh, Eskatos. Eskatos, one of my favorite shoot 'em ups of all time, and one of my favorite shoot 'em up soundtracks of all time as well. This track is. There's good. actually several different, several different mixes of the Eskatos soundtrack. The uh, the one I, I sent you is like the the original mix, I think, rather than the arranged version. Sure. Um, I I really like this soundtrack because it's got a very distinctive feel to it. It's uh, the game itself is from an era well beyond um, platforms having specific sound chips in them. Um, but they've deliberately gone for um, certain aspects of FM synthesis in this soundtrack. So there are parts of the, of the Eskatos soundtrack as a whole that deliberately sound like something you would have on a Mega Drive, but it's got an overall 
um, sort of thicker and fuller texture to it. There's more stuff going on at the same time. There's a, a kind of richer sound to the whole thing. So it's kind of a, a balance between a very retro feel in some of the specific sounds that are being used, but the overall, um, I guess, richness is the best word. The, it's a complex composition with a lot going on that is satisfying to listen to. You listen to this, and it's got this lovely full sound. And you think, yes. And again, it's got a lot of the, lot of the same things that we've talked about um, on on many of these tracks. We've got that driving rhythm pushing you forwards. We've got the this lovely sort of bendy sound right at the beginning that is that is sort of this is the beginning of a shoot 'em up now. Yeah, um, <laughs> fire up yeah. your engines. Um, yeah, and it's it's just pushing you onwards to to doing great things. It's inspiring you to do your best. It's it's got this triumphant, memorable melody line over the top. It's got sort of uh, counter melodies complementing each other, like a sort of conversation between you going, yes, I can do this, and someone going, you can do this. And <laughs> yeah, it, this, it, really uh... fits, it really fits perfectly with the first level of Eskatos as well, which is sort of you being launched over this city to fend off this alien invasion single-handedly, basically. So you, it's got this sort of aspect of imagining people looking up at the sky of you flying over the top of them and shooting down these massive flying saucers and that sort of thing. And it's, yeah... It, Eskatos, generally, as a whole, is a beautifully choreographed shoot 'em up. Not just in terms of music, but in terms of the way it uses camera angles and all sorts of things like that. I think in a previous episode, at some point, I talked about the blasting into space sequence in the second level of this. I, can't, I don't know if you remember that conversation. Yes. But mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, yeah, there is a sequence in Eskatos where you're sort of fighting, fighting around this sort of. Um, Aztec-style pyramid, and you're sort of taking out all these gun turrets and so on. And when you finish that sequence, you just do this incredibly dramatic swoop towards the pyramid, and then you fire your rocket boosters, and you're flying off into space. And it's just one of the best moments in any game ever. <laughs> if you uh, if you really like this sound profile, I would definitely encourage you to check out some more um, like Saturn era stuff. Um, yeah, there's a very specific sound to uh, Saturn era shmup soundtrack specifically like I'm thinking back to like the the, the companies I really like uh, 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 rising uh, slash aiding and their yeah. output um, back in the Saturn day you had a very specific uh, dichotomy you had soundtracks that had two very different um, very two very different sound profiles you had games that were made specifically for the Saturn on like higher yeah. tech um, and those had a CD. Those had CD yep. sound. So they, it was pretty much limitless in terms of what the music could actually sound like. But many Saturn games were arcade games um, on the CPS2 arcade board, which yep. had a sound board. So it mm-hmm. couldn't quite have CD sound. So this sounds so much like early Saturn era arcade port soundtracks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... Oh, God, do I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Okay, so what's next on your list, then? All right, let's take a look. Next, I have Conquest of the Crystal Palace.
Mm. Not a game I'm familiar with, but I, I have vague memories of you raving about this game on a previous episode of this podcast, so I, I am familiar with it. Uh, yeah, I love this game. This, <laughs> this was... This was one of those games. I don't know. I don't know what the situation was in the UK. Did you have like game rentals and stuff the same way we did in the states? We did, but I, I don't know. I, as I've said several times, I, I didn't really get sort of big into console gaming until sort of the PlayStation era. Really, I had a Super NES, but I, I didn't have that many games for it, and I didn't get super into collecting games and buying games until the PS One era. You could definitely rent PS One games, but I, I'm not sure about anything before that. Okay. So, so there's a there's a very classic story, especially for like kids my like American kids my age growing up in the era of like blockbuster video, where, where in, there's like the the white whale game, yeah. the game that you loved that you rented over and over and over again, probably <laughs> probably rented it enough to buy it, but your parents could never find it in stores, so you never yeah. got to own it. Right, so there was yeah. this this copy of Conquest of the Crystal Palace at Suncoast Video, a little privately owned video store down the street from me, and uh, I would rent Conquest of the Crystal Palace like on rotation. I would like rent a game, <laughs> then I would rent Conquest of the Crystal Palace, then I would rent a game, then I would rent Conquest of the Crystal Palace. Um, as an adult, I came to understand. That the whole freaking reason Conquest of the Crystal Palace is so good is because it is one of the first games made by Yasumi Matsuno. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Tactics Ogre and the Evil East Final Fantasy setting. Like that, yeah. that guy. <laughs> uh, so it's... Uh, this, this game is serious business. Um, it's just a... It's not that great. Um, but like visually and thematically, it's great. It's because it's just great world building, which is what Matsuno yeah. has does. Um, it's just uh, it's set in like a mythical China setting. Um, it's just a pretty typical action side scroller um, where you're this kid on an adventure and your dog is with you and can help you, um, and you're going through this fantasy mythological China setting, and um, this is. The first level of Conquest of the Crystal Palace music, which was actually composed by a gentleman named Mitsuyasa Tomohisa, who is a member of a band in Japan called the Jaywalk, which is actually quite prolific, it turns out. I didn't know this mm -hmm. prior prior to doing some research for this episode. But um, yeah, it's just like, this is adventure video game music in an ancient China setting. It like ha yep. it has it has all those like chord progressions you expect from like the like this is China like stereotypical <laughs> sound. Yeah, we call that it's we call that a pentatonic scale in the know, don't you know? Okay, <laughs> very good, yeah, very good. It's it's a thing. It's it's um it's yeah, like you say, it's quite an easy way to make something sound like it's from the east because a lot of traditional music from China in particular is based on on this particular pattern. And the reason why sort of the stereotypical possibly racist thing of going is is associated with China is because that that is just a pentatonic scale. If you play just the black notes on a piano, you've got something that sounds like it's from eastern territories <laughs> gotcha yeah i don't know nothing about no music theory I, yeah. I just know that this is adventure in china music in many ways as we were talking about with like early castlevania um a lot of these 8-bit games you can feel the influence of progressive rock yep. in yep. in them and like this feels like proto dynasty warriors music <laughs> yeah yeah 
it's it's all about that rhythm section again it's all about that bass line and about the drums so it, in this one this this was this uses quite a common sort of pattern that's heard in a lot of NES music, which is that sort of ongoing pattern in the bass line and the drums at the same time. And because those two different sounds are mirroring each other, it really emphasizes it. Um, this has also got uh, a common trick on the NES as well. I don't know how, how familiar you are with the NES's sound hardware, but it basically had, I can't remember if it's three, three or four channels that could generate waveforms, like I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But it, it also had one channel that could do uh, very small, very low-quality samples. So it could use actual recorded sounds. And you can hear it in this one. If you hear like the snare drum that's coming in. That, I was going to say, that, it's that the drum, sort of it? crunchy snare drum sound in this. That is a sample. It's a very low-quality sample, but because it's so low-quality, it's got this very distinctive, crunchy sound to it. And that was used a lot in a wide variety of NES games, and it's it's a very iconic sound. So, like, like I talked about how Super Castlevania sounds like the quintessential Super NES soundtrack, this track is very much sort of the quintessential NES soundtrack for me as well. Yeah. It's fun. It's a it's a yeah. great game. I mean, yeah. all the music is good, but 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 this track, man. Let's go. It's another just like Japanese. Like yeah. let's go. Like yeah, fist definitely. in the air. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it's 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 all in that rhythm to to build up the adrenaline to sort of push you forwards to sort of make you feel like you should be constantly moving forwards even even if that's not necessarily the the wisest thing to do in terms of game mechanics you hear that piece of music you think i should be moving forwards now i should be walking to the right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and there's something really lovely about the way it's uh it comes in like a round like the rhythm comes in first and like you maybe think it's gonna sound like a really traditional like pentatonic scale thing but then then the actual melody part kicks in and then it has that like progressive japanese video game sound on top of that rhythm like yeah it, 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 it defies expectations a little bit like it's just a great track yeah yeah definitely all right, uh, the next one on my list then is the first uh, level of music from Wolfenstein 3D. Oh, yeah. Which you, call, which you call get them before they get you. So this is this is obviously another Western one rather than um, rather than Japanese. But it was from the era when uh, Western composers still kind of produced stuff with reasonably memorable themes to it. But there's 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 a very obvious difference in kind of atmosphere and approach to how this is composed. This is a bit more atmospheric than some of the other ones that we've chosen. But again, um, it's got that solid use of rhythm to get you excited for the game. And in fact, the specific reason that I like this music is that I thought it complemented the loading screen in Wolfenstein really well. Mm -hmm. So on the original PC version of Wolfenstein, um, when you hit new game and choose your difficulty and so on, the first thing it does is this, this big full screen banner that says, Get Psyched! And like the combination of the words get psyched and this loading bar slowly filling up and the initial drum beat in this piece of music was just it was just a perfect fusion of things to get you excited for what was about to happen. I remember it um, well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, 
um the overall soundtrack for uh wolfenstein 3d it's there are elements to it that have sort of dated a bit more than certain other aspects of um of some of the games that we've been talking about so a lot of games from this era and i, I think if i remember correctly um wolfenstein was composed by uh, robert prince i think um who did a lot of stuff for um shareware games at the time so he, he wrote a lot of the music for uh, Wolfenstein, Doom, Doom 2, uh, Duke Nukem, and so on. He's got very distinctive sound, and he uses he uses like the twelve bar blues progression very frequently. Uh, okay. You can hear that. You can hear that in Wolfenstein 3D. You can hear it in almost every single track on the Doom soundtrack as well. Um, so many of them are based on the twelve bar blues format, even if it's not like a blues piece it is using that chord progression and once once you're aware of it it's very hard to unhear it <laughs> but um so that's that's one thing that I'm, I'm very conscious of with bobby prince's work these days but i think the fact that he manages to take that structure and do so many different creative things with it is uh is sort of his real strength even if he even if sometimes i do wish he'd been a bit more imaginative with some of his chord progressions but certainly certainly wolfenstein 3d's first level music is um is one that stuck with me a lot over the years uh purely for sort of the i guess you yeah i guess you call it the emotional impact it had when you were getting ready to start that game for the first time it was it was just a perfect compliment to starting that game yeah third third comment on the youtube page get psyched <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly exactly and, and just like you know <laughs> like i was talking about kind of when i was first uh musing about shadow of the ninja like this is is there a more perfect infiltration music than yeah, this yeah. like military infiltration mission like this is it you are the last hope get in the base yeah. like it, you know yeah. like perfect yeah exactly absolutely perfect all right what's next for you what's next for me do, 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 do. Esperance Part 1 from Mischief Makers. Ah, this is this is treasure, right? Am I oh, remember yeah. that correctly? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I managed to keep my treasure games to only two today. <laughs> my restra my restraint <laughs> yeah. for your benefit. Um. So yeah, uh, Esperance Part One. Uh, I love this track. Sometimes it gets me teary, and I don't even know why. Mm. Um. There is. A feeling in this track to me of like many things coming together yeah um, it's the composer for this piece is Norio Hanzawa who was pretty much like the treasure composer um, yeah. he worked on most of treasures legendary games gunstar heroes guardian heroes alien soldier um, he was even with them when they weren't treasure back in their early days working as a development house inside konami doing stuff like bucky o'hare and like tiny tunes games um, oh, okay so he, he's part of who they are um yeah. 
so like Norio Hanzawa's sound is very much the treasure sound. Um, and I had always loved their games, but there's something about Mischief Maker specifically because it's on the N64, which obviously mm-hmm. had a more robust soundboard profile than what the um, what the Genesis had, but still not CD sound. So the N64 sound profile was still a little weird. Um, I I I have such such a weird uh, a weird feeling towards the N64 soundboard because. It was obviously capable, and there were certain games that could make it absolutely shine, but I found that, of all things, I found that Nintendo's own stuff kind of made really poor use of it. So, like, I'm not a huge... I, a lot of people like really like Ocarina of Time soundtrack. Oh, I don't. Soundtrack it's song, annoying. But, but the, the sounds used in those are, like, worse than the Super NES in a lot of cases. But then you listen to something like this that was on the same platform, and you think, well, why couldn't Nintendo do that? Yeah. But then, <laughs> then there are some games, like Mario 64, the music, the soundtrack's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Ocarina of Time makes me want to kill myself. The, Ko- <laughs> the, the Kokiri Forest, like, the sounds, yeah. No, I, I don't know. It's weird. Because, like, uh, some games were great, though. Like, a lot of air, like, all Grant Kirkhope's work on the Banjo-Kazooie games is amazing, yeah, yeah. and obviously. Um, uh, Blast's Core, also Oh, Blast's Core's soundtrack is amazing, yeah. Yeah, so, like, there's great stuff out there, but N64 had a weird balance of, like, really outright offensive to the ear or just unmemorable stuff. But yeah. But Mischief Makers is 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 one of the good ones. Um, yeah, definitely. And like every other theme I've pretty much brought up today, like it communicates that sense of the beginning of an adventure, but yes. it does, but it does it in a really different way than some of the other stuff did. Um, specifically, a lot of the other stuff I brought up had a really strong um, focus on rhythm to like hype you up. But um, in Mis- the Mischief Makers music, there's a there, a very consistent theme of like mystery and like a, yes and like a questioning of the unknown which kind yeah. of permeates this track um because the, the 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 narrative of the game is that you're stranded on this planet and it's a very strange planet and there's just a ton of mysteries to solve and like what is going on here it's weird yeah, um yeah. and and you're this like sassy robot girl who like just doesn't want to put up with any of the bullshit like, like let's get going let's solve the problem like Everything about this track sounds like the perfect Saturday morning cartoon. There's yes. a there's a hint of fairy tale, a hint of like slapstick goofiness, the feeling of mystery and the feeling of adventure, all kind of coalescing in this odd like techno robot-y, do-do-do-do, like beeps and boops. Like yeah. it's it's just great. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't played I haven't played this game a lot. I do own a copy, I haven't played it a lot, but from what I remember, it's it's a fairly weird game, isn't it? In a it's lot of ways, almost inaccessible. It's the, yeah, it's a game that is like highly polarizing. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think this piece of music gets that across really well, um, particularly because if you listen to like that, that the whatever that noise is that they're playing the main tune on, it's a weird noise. Yeah, it's not um, natural. It's not an instrument. Yeah. And it says this. I mean, it's obviously it's obviously supposed to supposed to be something a bit like a vocal sample or something like that, but it's not quite right. Um, yeah. But that that really works in context of what the game is because the game is weird and not quite right. Yeah, and yeah. so this just complements it perfectly. Yeah, it's it's obtuse, it's inaccessible, it's bizarre, 
Yeah. But it's yeah. also but it's also like super heroic at the yeah. same time. Yeah. It's all of that plus you get a feel for like when that main crescendo hits like near the end of the loop and you just you feel like yeah Marina is this great hero. Like nothing's going to stop her from like solving this problem. Like that's what yeah. it feels like and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, definitely. and I get goosebumps. This one gives me goosebumps. I don't know why, because it's it's like goofy and clunky, but it just like for some reason it makes me emotional. And I'm oh, sure nice. nostalgia plays a part of it, but it like creates nostalgia for us for a Saturday morning cartoon that never existed. Yeah, no, no. So sometimes stuff like that just it just gets you. Sometimes, sometimes there are sort of associations that you made in your mind with it at the time as well that you might not necessarily be completely conscious of now but you might be sort of remembering some of those associations as well i know i've got a lot of certain pieces of music like that that they hit me hard emotionally but i can't really say why they just they just do and it's obviously something buried deep in my brain that i associate with that piece of music and it's yeah it's probably something like that going on there no doubt yeah Okay, moving down my list, I've got a biggie now. Uh, Final Fantasy VII. I mean, yeah. I, I tried to I tried to steer away from the really well-known ones, but Final Fantasy VII's bombing mission is just yeah. such a defining part of my adolescence. I, I couldn't not mention it. It's just, of course. Just like the, it, it, in fact, the whole the whole intro sequence for Final Fantasy VII is just incredible. Still. And I was so pleased that they recreated it so perfectly in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, yeah, I nearly shat myself. Was, <laughs> yeah, the first yeah, time exactly. I played that demo. Yeah, as um, when I when I played the demo for Final Fantasy VII Remake when that came out, and like I I turned the music up really loud because I knew it was going to be good, and like it was it was so loud that my wife came in to tell me to turn it down, but she sort of came in she was about to say can you can can you turn that shit down but like then she saw me and i was like sitting on the sofa with tears in my eyes and she was like okay i'll just back away <laughs> let, let, let it pass <laughs> yeah yeah i'll let you have this moment but yeah just just this whole opening sequence for final fantasy 7 you've got this this wonderful sort of panning down through the city and you've got the the bits with Aerith and all that sort of thing and then bombing mission kicks in and it is just the perfect you've got a job to do get in there and do it as quickly as you can you don't need to rush through that beginning sequence at all but this music makes it feel like you should you need to get in there you need to blow up that macro reactor you need to get this done and it's amazing it's amazing it really is Final Fantasy, I mean, obviously, like, Final Fantasy sets so many of the bars, right? And it's just, like, the pressure on 7 to have an amazing opening was strong because Final Fantasy, like, 4 kind of created that idea that, like, your RPG should have a massively cinematic opening 
where like yeah. something amazing happens it sets the tone for the yeah. rest of everything and like i don't remember the opening of five terribly well but i do remember the opening of six very clearly and like mm-hmm. seven just seven brought that into the 32-bit generation like with aplomb yeah. so it's yeah. just this track was so integral to the creation of that cinematic feel yeah yeah interestingly i'm i'm fairly convinced that the bombing mission theme was intended to be a direct homage to Final Fantasy IV's opening, because if you listen to the tune and the chord progression in it, they're almost identical. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you listen to it carefully, if you listen to, listen to them side by side, they are very similar pieces of music. Obviously, the the PlayStation One is a much fuller, richer sound because of the additional capabilities at the time. But I, I'm pretty sure that there was a deliberate attempt to sort of harken back to final fantasy 4 specifically with yeah with part, that part theme. of it can be that part of it could also just be yasunori mitsuda not yasunori mitsuda uh, nobro matsu Imatsu, yeah like same composer and like when someone goes to Imatsu and is like make a military theme <laughs> like it, it, it's gonna probably sound <laughs> yeah it's gonna pro you know it, it was very very similar it was a very similar opening in Final Fantasy IV, right? Like you yeah, are, yeah, exactly. You are in the military. Yeah, this is a military mission. Like execute with extreme prejudice. Like, yeah, I love it. But the very few, very few. I mean, that's like the textbook. Like that, that military feel in those opening moments. It's a very textbook way to like gear up that that narrative. Yeah, yeah, definitely definitely yeah i don't have a, a ton more i want to say about that specific one but it is one that i really wanted to include in there just because it's it's of such personal importance to me and i'm sure you as well so oh yeah yeah 13 All right. year old chris is <laughs> very yeah. Yeah. very uh very yes. partial to that track and like i said man remake just did it right they just nailed like, it they nailed if, it absolutely. if honestly if honestly like I, I my one buddy yelled at me for saying this but like if ff7 remake was just like beat the guard scorpion roll credits that, <laughs> that, that would have been yeah. enough game for yeah. me no no i know exactly Je- what you mean yeah, jesse perfect. gets to live like it's like i would have that would have been the fine for me <laughs> like yeah it was just so yeah. that was just so perfect yeah and they knew yeah. they knew it had to be yeah. yeah they knew sure. it had to be all right all right what have we got next from you then radiant silver gun Mm-hmm. Not a game I'm super familiar with, I, I must confess. But oh, well, you you were never you have no history with the Saturn, yeah. Really, I list, I listened to this piece of music. And I thought, gosh, that sounds like Final Fantasy Tactics, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's Hoshi Sakamoto. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is this is not what I expect to hear from a shoot 'em up, but no, well. <laughs> that's why it's, that's why it's so memorable for me. Yeah. Um. So. Radiant Silvergun uh, is composed by Hitoshi Sakamoto, um, well known for FF Tactics, um, but 
also in his early days well known for um, shooters, specifically in the Saturn era. He worked with Rising a lot. Um, he did yeah. the soundtrack to Armed Police, Batrider, which is mm -hmm. a great soundtrack. He also, uh, not him specifically as composer, but his sound group, Bass Escape, did, um, uh, with him directly working on it, did the soundtrack for uh, Battle Garega, which is a really well-known soundtrack. Um, yeah. So, so um, he is known very specific. There's a there's a Hitoshi Sakamoto sound that I think everybody mm -hmm. attributes to him, which is a very specific type of open, grand orchestral feeling with this yep. scope of cinematic rolling. And like I often remember you and I, because um, you and I in our chats outside of the podcast are both tremendous fans of game music in general. If you haven't discovered that from listening to us talk for the past hour, um, <laughs> we talk about game music a lot. And one of the things we've clashed on often is you not being a tremendous fan of Hitoshi Sakamoto's final fantasy work because it lacks some of that pounding rhythm and melody that we associate with Japanese game music. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's what makes Radiant Silvergun's soundtrack interesting to me is because it's 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 the Hitoshi Sakamoto sound, but um, in <laughs> a shoot 'em up, a, a vertical <laughs> a vertical shoot 'em up with sweeping orchestral score, and um, you know, like the really there's only one word right when you when the Radiant Silvergun this this track is called the Return, which I think sounds just right. Um, yeah, bells, man bells mm -hmm. have you yeah. ever heard church bells <laughs> in, in, a, in a shmup opening track um <laughs> then the notion like you know so like narratively narratively you are part of like a, a defense force that orbits the planet um the planet's been overrun by this like unknown entity that like grew out of this like crystal that's been like unearthed that's like taking control of like everything um and you are you are descending to earth while these bells are playing um like through the clouds like burning on re-entry and then you swoop in and like the stage begins like there's a very specific like cinematic presentation accompanying this track as it begins um and it's all kind of tied to the visual elements of the game as well. So um, the ship in Radiant Silver Gun has a very unique design. It doesn't look like any other ship you've seen in a, in a, in a shoot 'em up ship. Um, and the shape and form of the ship in Radiant Silver Gun was very specifically designed to evoke the image of an angel. Yeah. Um, like if yeah. you th if you think about what like an angel Christmas tree topper looks like in profile, like that's yeah. what the ship of Radiant Silver Gun looks like. Um, so as like your ship descends to this embattled planet to save it like the bells are tolling and it's just it's evoking this like biblical sense of like the savior coming down from on high to like put an end to this and like it's it's fitting like the, the track is fitting for this grand scope and scale um yeah yeah. Radi Radiant Silver Gun is known very specifically for being um it's a notoriously long shooter. Yeah. Um like that's why a lot of people don't like it because like you can't sit down like bang out Radiant Silver Gun for score in like 25 minutes. Like Radiant Silver Gun takes like an hour to play through. There's like massive yeah. set pieces and like tons of bosses like 
it is it is a it is an undertaking. So like I don't think a traditional hectic techno infused shmup soundtrack would have made sense for Silverbell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um it's a very different thing. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But there is still some melody in there. There's that there's oh, yeah, that yeah. there's that there's that heroic theme that kicks in once the bells are done. And it's just it's something totally different and it defies your expectation. Um, but it, it, it gives you the feels. It gives you the heroic feels. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like I say, it's, it's not a game I'm familiar with, but from what you described there, I, I, I can see it. I can see what, what how that beginning would, would go and what it would look like and what it would feel like. Um, yeah. Is Radiant Silver Gun one of the ones that they randomly released on Xbox Live Arcade, or am I thinking of something else? I don't know. I don't know where Radiant Silver Gun is available. I think you might be hmm. able to get it on Steam. Mm, I have a vague memory of seeing it somewhere like weird that you wouldn't expect it, but uh, I would have to look into that because uh, yeah, that's definitely piqued my interest there for sure. It's on the Microsoft Store, so yes, mm. you can get it on the Xbox Arcade. It's worth it. It's worth it, man. It's uh, if you can imagine treasure and their approach to gaming, which is just everything. Like make it uh-huh. big, make it bold, whatever you can think of, throw it in there. And now imagine what it would be like if they made a vertical shooter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is yeah. just full of bombast and scale. And uh, there's a reason this game is like legendary. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, know what I'm doing later then. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll appreciate it. All right. Okay. Continuing on then. A uh, bit of a change in theme. Uh, the next one I've got is um, not technically what you'd call a first level theme as such because it's from a western rpg but it's the first battle theme that you hear in boulder's gate uh, which is called attacked by assassins Um, the Baldur's Gate soundtrack in general uh, is kind of notorious for being a gratuitous rip-off of the Conan the Barbarian soundtrack. Um, <laughs> well, if you're going to rip off, man, you can do a lot worse than Basil exactly. Polidarus. Exactly, exactly. I, uh, this track is one of the ones where it's especially apparent, but I just love this track because um, Western RPGs that I played prior to Baldur's Gate... Um, had either been fairly light on the music or they had uh, taken a very sort of atmospheric approach so for example I'd play stuff like Diablo um, and Diablo is very heavy on ambience rather than actual tuneful music except when you're in the town so Diablo has this strong contrast between you're out in the town now so here's some music and you're in the dungeon now so here's some spooky noises yeah here's dripping Um, Baldur's Gate on the other hand gave like this incredibly dramatic battle music and there was also this slight element of absurdity about it as well because in Baldur's Gate you start off as this sort of fairly normal person just hanging out in this walled city of Candlekeep um, and you get the you get the stereotypical first RPG quest which is oh my cellar is full of rats would you mind going and dealing with them 
and so the first fight you have in the game is against a bunch of rats and it's accompanied by this music and it's just <laughs> brilliant <laughs> perfect yeah perfect. it's wonderful it's wonderful um i mean th this this battle theme comes back in several other areas but it's it's actually quite a long time in the game between you hearing this piece of music for the first time in that ridiculous first battle and you hearing it again uh, in a more fitting context i was gonna and say so this, when is it, <laughs> this is epic this is an epic track and so when it comes back later in the game you're like oh yeah yeah this is a cool piece of music and i want to hear it again more um so yeah it's <laughs> I don't know it's i mean it's just a great piece of music but i've also just got this wonderful memory of the absurdity of a level one fighter with a battered old sword in someone's cellar attacking a bunch of rats and going and sort of failing to hit them half of the time because this is second edition D. &D. Uh. um <laughs> but yeah boulder's gate soundtrack generally generally some some of the finest work in sort of western rpgs still um, yeah. Baldur's Gate 2 has got some great tracks as well, but the first one will always be sort of uh, particularly special to me. Did you get those uh, those remasters they did on the modern consoles? I didn't, know. I've actually still got my old copies of the original ones, um, and I think I've definitely got uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, possibly the original versions on GAG.com, so I, I didn't sort of really feel the need to get the oh, remastered ones. But Sure, sure. Because I did, yeah. they did like double packs. You can get like Baldur's Gate one and two in one pack, and then they did. Um, I think it was Icewind Dale and they did Icewind Dale and they did Neverwinter Nights as well. Yeah, yeah, and you can get mm. those that double packs too. It's like be cool to have those on the Switch, play those handheld. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, those yeah, those are all sort of quite nice games to have on the go actually, because although they are each huge adventures in their own right. The, the structure of them is such that they're quite friendly to sort of dipping in and out of because they're, mm. they're heavily quest based and sort of like heavily based on sort of self-contained little stories and things so sure. you could quite easily sit down and play a bit of Baldur's Gate and just play through a quest line and then put it aside for a bit and then come back to it later and so on um, so yeah they would be a good fit for Switch actually I might have to see if I can nab some copies of those at some point Neverwinter Nights as well this is obviously getting very off topic now but Neverwinter Nights I have some very fond memories of as well uh, because it had an amazing multiplayer mode in that one. Uh, I don't know if you ever encountered that at all, but Neverwinter Nights is, I believe, one of the only D&D games you could play multiplayer where you could have an actual Dungeon Master player. Okay. Um, and so that meant you could have someone who was controlling all of the enemies and manipulating the world and uh, sort of doing things in real time as as the players were exploring and that sort of thing. And it just made for some of the most amazing multiplayer experiences I've ever had. Um, cool. So And so, yeah, the Neverwinter Night soundtrack sounded quite a lot like Baldur's Gate as well, so there's sort of a connection there. So I, I hear music from Baldur's Gate and from any of that era of D&D games on the pc and I, I have these again these really positive associations with that so not only is it a cool piece of music it sort of takes me back to sort of happy times as well so. sure sure all right what's next for you we got ninja warriors again Yeah. Uh, 
which we, I guess in the U.S. was just Ninja Warriors because we didn't actually get the first one. <laughs> but but uh, Ninja Warriors again is the second piece in my list today by Hiroyuki Iwatsuke of uh, Natsume yep. fame. Um, and I, I don't know if there's a whole hell of a lot I can say about Ninja Warriors again that didn't also apply to Shadow of the Ninja. Uh, it's just like the it's it's an essential ninja theme. Um, yeah. it, it opens in a way that perfectly communicates infiltration mission. Secret mm-hmm. agent spy infiltration mission. Um, but what's interesting about the way this track sounds, um, there, there's kind of moments where it has a tone of kind of sadness and desperation to it, yeah. um, which is really which ties into the narrative of the game. The the, the story of the Ninja Warriors franchise is that, um, like. The world's been overrun by this merciless military dictator. Um, there is a resistance group in the underground uh, using some of the technology stolen from this group. Um, you're launching a last-ditch effort, and you've built these ninja automatons yeah. um, so that they can go in. They're robots. They have no conscience. They have no hang-ups about killing and they can just go hog wild and destroy this regime from the inside like so just there's something about this track that communicates like the combined elements of the spy infiltration mission with the sadness and desperation of a resistance group pushed to their last straw yeah um yeah this is the only chance right if these robots fail to do this mission if this attack fails the the resistance has put all of their lives on the line. They've put all their resources into this last push. Like if this fails, there's nothing. If this fails, yeah. evil wins. And you hear that in this track. Yeah, yeah. And you've you've got the technology aspect in there as well, haven't you? Because all of the sounds in this are very artificial. Yeah. So like the main the main theme is played on a very artificial sounding synth line. So you've got that. These are technological weapons that we're sending in there. I, I do love from this artwork, by the way, that the two dude ninjas are like super robotic looking, and then there's cute girl ninja as well. <laughs> <laughs> but she's a robot. <laughs> yeah, she's totally a robot with long blonde hair. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this the, 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 this this fits in with so many of the things that we've talked about there we've got that driving rhythm we've got the use of slap bass is very common in in this sort of thing because that's quite an energetic sound mm-hmm. you've got um sort of um quite a complex drum line in this one as well you got instead of instead of just like a straight rock rhythm you got lots of fills and stuff in here that's sort of giving it this very kind of elaborate feel um which fits in with the sort of infiltration theme um, because you often have to sort of think on the fly and things don't always go as you expect it to so the rhythm is all over the place and that sort of thing so yeah there's, there's a lot going on in this track that is very very appropriate for the game itself yeah this is Iwatsuki at the top of his game um, yeah. like just just the best um, it was like I said I, I really struggled um, and when I actually looked at my list so you know one of the things I did is I built my list then I went back and did my research on composers. Um, uh-huh. My my original list had four Iwatsuki tracks on it, uh-huh. uh, which I pared down to two. Uh, what were the other did, ones just out of interest? Um, the other ones were the first level theme from Wild Guns. Oh yeah, yep. 
and the first level theme from uh, Shatterhand. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which are all just incredible tracks. But, um, and I can always talk about those in a future episode. But, um, yeah, he's he's just very good at what he does. And he came back, of course, uh, uh, both for both Wild Guns and Ninja Warriors. Again, both received those amazing, like, enhanced retro ports on modern consoles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he remixed all the music for them. Like, with modern, yeah. like so, like, modern remixes of them using the same exact track, but like not limited by the super nintendo yeah um yeah. and they're amazing like you can imagine how suitably epic this track sounds without any yeah. restriction hardware restrictions oh absolutely absolutely um, it's yeah it's it's just i i would say it would not be hyperbole to say this track is probably in like my top five video game themes of all time irrespective of genre like yeah. i yeah. love this track i can understand that i can understand that absolutely and I will play this game. I will just play level one. Like, if I'm having a miserable day, I will fire this game up just yeah. to play this game. And, like, experience... Because it's not just about listening to the music, right? With a lot of these themes. It's the way the music, as I've said on a couple examples, ties to what you're doing and the gameplay and the feel of the action. It's just like... Yeah. When this is playing and you're freaking jump-kicking soldiers in the face and they're, like, exploding <laughs> and then you backflip and then, like, throw a shuriken at the guy sneaking up behind you and, like, this is playing and it's just, like, yeah. it's so good. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, sort of one of my criteria for picking this stuff on this list was how likely am I to boot up this game just to play the first level? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Have you played this game ever? Uh, I have played... Yes, I have. Uh, I... I'm trying to think what context I played it in. I think... I think I mentioned I think it in the previous cod yeah, podcast you, and you played it to get footage. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that was probably it. You, I, I think it was it was sort of just before the new versions released. You were yeah. talking about it. Okay. And so I played the Super NES version. It was like, oh, this is good, isn't it? I actually still haven't picked up the, um, the Switch version. I think you can get a physical copy. It's one of those ones you can get a physical copy of fairly easily in Europe. So yeah, yep, it was published for retail. And, it's not like a limited yeah. press thing. I will have to try and nab a copy of that because, yeah, I did really enjoy what I played. So it's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's mechanically very unique. It's it's one of my favorite games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean the whole series is. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I picked this track because of how much I love it specifically. But yeah. um, the first level music from the original Ninja Warriors is legendary. I, I, I Daddy Mulk, it's called, and it's one of the like most like beloved remixed tracks from this sound team, um, like ever. Like there's a there's a wonderful legendary live performance of it from like the '80s that circulates all the time on YouTube, mm -hmm. and it's like it's amazing because Iwatsuki's <laughs> there. Um, and uh, I, I think, um, oh God, why can't I remember his name? The, the guy who did most of the music for the, the, the early Tales of games. Um, oh, shoot, yes. I can't remember his name. He, I, I, should, I love him. He did all Valkyrie Profile. He does a lot of stuff with, with Tri-Ace. He did all of Star Ocean. I'm just drawing a blank, but he is there playing the, the keyboard in this concert, like like a fresh faced, like nineteen year old him, just like. Was oh, it um, Sakuraba? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Motoi yeah. Sakuraba. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's there. Like it's amazing. And then right there's a there's a there's a part in that track, Daddy Mulk, where all the techno stuff stops, and there's a shamisen solo. <laughs> And like obviously that's digital in the, the 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 game version, but like in the the live performance, the whole band stops and a dude comes out with a shamisen in like traditional clothing with like the headband on, and like <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you. It's it's a treat. Amazing. It's also it's one of the Daddy Mulk is also legendary because it's it, it's a track that doesn't loop. Yeah. It's 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 as long as the level takes to beat. It's one track. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, I do love that. Which rarely happens. It's very long with no loop. Like there's <laughs> a ton of stuff happening in it. It's epic. Yeah. So that's one for another day. Even though I pretty much just described what makes it so amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're spending all my money this evening, aren't you? All right. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad influence, man. My friends, wives, and girlfriends do not like me. <laughs> all right. Continue on. I just got a couple more now. Um, one that I want to bring up. Very big change of tone now. Um, the chapter one theme from Corpse Party. This is not my favourite track from Corpse Party, but it is one of the most memorable ones. And the fact that this is sort of your introduction to Corpse Party is uh, is really interesting. So, so Corpse Party, if you're not familiar, this is a series of games that started as actually an RPG Maker game, um, but the more well-known versions over the years are there is uh, there was a PSP version um, called Blood Covered. Uh, which was basically a complete remake of the game for PSP. And there's a 3DS version which is slightly different to the PSP version, uh, but still in incorporates sort of the main story beats, the same characters, and I think some of the same music. Um, but the interesting thing about Corpse Party's soundtrack is it's so weird um, because it's it fits the game, but it's also not what you would expect from a horror game. Corpse Party is a really nasty horror game. It is exceedingly violent. It does horrible, horrible things to its characters. It is full of people screaming and suffering and really nasty things happening. But it's got this oddly chipper soundtrack to it that has elements of chip tunes about it. And it's got this sort of strong, nice melody about it. But at the same time, there's this air of menace about it as well that is just absolutely magical. Yeah, and this is peak. This is peak OST. I love this. Yeah. And I think I think it just sort of highlights sort of that that real juxtaposition that is going on in Corpse Party because Corpse Party is like sort of very colourful and anime in a lot of ways. It's got it's full of cute girls who occasionally flash their panties and that sort of thing, but it's also these cute girls often meet really horrible, grisly ends as well. 
and I think that's reflected partly in the soundtrack as well. There is there is this sort of sinister undertone to the music, but it's also got this cheerful aspect to it, these melodic passages, and that sort of thing. And it's just anytime I play Corpse Party, I get shivers down the spine when I hear this music, just because it's like, oh, this is really quite uncomfortable. <laughs> like narratively, isn't like the whole thing Corpse Party like the main bad guy is this like little girl ghost who's like devious yeah. and like yeah. she's yeah, they- she's having fun with it. Yeah, exactly. So like exactly. that's that's she, what she, this sounds like. Is like little girl ghost is sadistic. Like that's what this sounds like to me. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Sachiko and Corpse Party is a a wonderful villain because you don't see her that often, but when you do see her, there's this balance between oh she's this cute little adorable girl, and then like she cuts someone's eye out with a pair of scissors, and you're like ah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, just just this track reflects it perfectly. And the whole the Corpse Party soundtrack as a whole, it escalates as it goes through. So it starts off with, with this theme that we're talking about here. And uh, as the chapters advance, there's five chapters in it, and each chapter just sort of escalates the intensity of that music. It doesn't use the same theme and sort of remix it, but it it increases in yeah, things get more serious as you go through until you reach. Uh, the final chapter that I will share with you now I've probably ch- shared this with you before but by the time you get to this final chapter and you are hearing uh, is it this one? this piece of music instead yeah it is It is obviously shit has got real time and so by the time you reach the end of the game you're like okay right party is over we need to do something about this and it just escalates really nicely to that point but it's still keeping that sort of that sort of anime bounciness to it as well and it's just it just it's just incredibly memorable this track sounds like it belongs in a shmup yeah absolutely (laughs) that's cool yeah, I've always, I, 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 I'm not really a fan of like hard horror games. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. have, bizarrely enough, like I, how much I love horror movies. I'm not a huge fan of hard games. So like, I've never really gotten into the series, but like I'm aware of like how just like how like legendary it is, especially like the kinds of circles we run in. Um, yeah. But yeah, this 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 first theme is amazing. It's like one of my favorite things in horror is when you can communicate the unease that even though you're not having fun your tormentor is and yeah, that's and yeah. that's what this sounds like perfectly yeah absolutely absolutely all right what's next for you next for me well i wanted uh, most of my stuff is a old stuff um most of my stuff doesn't go past the 32-bit era. Most of it's 8 and 16-bit stuff. So I really wanted to make sure to focus on one modern indie title. Um, and I couldn't really think of a more goosebumpy, make me cry just by thinking about it piece of music than uh, the, the Dragon Valley theme from Freedom Planet. <laughs> Thank you. 
Perfect. Perfect. Um, cause I goddamn love freedom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. This is not a surprise to our listeners. Yeah. This is the extent to which we have raved about Freedom Planet consistently. Um, the Freedom Planet soundtrack is amazing. It's massive. Pretty much all of it is incredible. Um, it's composed by a group of two people working together. Uh, Leilani Wilson, who goes by Wuffle, and Sabrino Dodoro, who is the series creator, who goes by Strife when she's composing. Um, they both have very different styles, um, and apparently, according to like stories, they clashed quite a bit when working on the soundtrack, because Strife yeah. wanted um, a lot more intensity to the soundtrack, and um, Leilani Wilson, Wuffle, wanted... Um, just like an easy, laid-back, going-with-the-flow sound. So what often happened was the two kind of meet together in a lot of these tracks, where there's unique kind of relaxing, organic elements posed with a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, this driving, rhythmic sense of adventure, and it creates a really unique soundscape. It's kind of unlike anything I've ever heard before. Um, even though Freedom Planet in many ways is kind of attempting to evoke a Sonic game, a 16-bit Sonic game. This music doesn't yeah. feel like Sonic music. No. It's wholly unique. Um, this is, is Freedom Planet's music is, is um, one of my favorite indie soundtracks by a long mile. I mean, there are days of my life when I'm working where I just listen to this soundtrack on loop for like nine-hour work days. Like, mm -hmm. I yep. am obsessed with this soundtrack, and this track is part of it because it's really one of the first major tracks you get to hear. Um, it sounds completely new, like I mentioned, different. It's modern. Uh, it's different from anything else in the market, but yet somehow, because it's made by people with the same kind of nostalgia we have, just like I was kind of talking about with that Saturday morning cartoon feel with um, Mischief Makers, it makes you nostalgic for something that doesn't even really exist, even though it's less. the game itself is less than 10 years old. Yeah. Like, it makes me feel like I've been playing Freedom Planet my entire life when I hear this oh, yeah. track. Yeah. And, like, I've only been playing Freedom Planet for, like, four years since I got it on Steam. <laughs> like, it's it doesn't have a connection to my past, but it feels like it does because of the way it's written and the way the music sounds. And in this track in particular is really emblematic of the game in general, like most of the tracks we've discussed today. Um, it communicates... Uh, like a feel of hominess yeah. um, and like a coziness and like th there's like these kind of tribal rhythms and sounds where it's kind of also communicating like a love of nature which is a really important component of the game and like a, and like a deference to tradition um, and then obviously the heroic tonal elements and, and chord progressions come in so like you get the like the, the heroic like rousing theme part of it but it's also cozy and like loving and like the whole point of freedom planet is to like defend this planet that's being ravaged by this alien invader um with whatever just scrappy friends you can gather and like whatever you can do it's just like this is your home you love your home now you must defend your home and like this the, this opening track dragon valley makes you makes you feel that love for your home in a very special mm. way yeah, I think the the soundtrack as a whole to Freedom Planet, like you say, is amazing, and it, it it does a really good job of 
doing what I just described with course fighting as well in sort of escalating the stakes as you go through until you reach the 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 final dreadnought tracks uh, in the soundtrack which are just some of the most uh, goosebump inducing shiver down the spine finale sequences that I've ever heard particularly when you combine with I don't know if you've actually beaten the game yet but I've, I've talked not. about this before but but to your shame to your shame <laughs> um, but uh, yeah the finale sequence in Freedom Planet um, I've only beaten it with um, with Lilac but just just her finale sequence is just so over the top amazing and emotional it's a proper emotional gut punch by the time you reach the final boss and you're like whoa and a big part of that is the music and it's it's just this gradual sense of escalation through the music through the cutscenes through the voice acting through the context of what's going on it's it, just the whole the whole the whole game is just an absolute masterpiece it really is mm-hmm. yeah it's just so emotionally evocative in so many different ways and um the themes just fit every level so perfectly. You've got to play as Carol so you can play my favorite sequence, the trap hideout stage. Oh, yes. That's yes. Uh, that's my favorite part of the whole game. And my favorite music tracks in the whole game is the trap hideout themes. Um, just amazing. Amazing stuff. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan. Like I, I fought, you know, back when I was on social media, I followed Wuffle. <laughs> I would just like fanboy at her like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think she's got some independent albums out now, and um, more hewing towards like the laid back side of the the Freedom yeah. Planet stuff that are worth listening to. Not game music, just like I've I've released these albums of original tracks. Yeah, it's quite good. Cool. All right. Well, my last one then uh, for today is uh, sort of, I guess you'd say in a in a similar sort of vein to Freedom Planet. Really, I, I don't know if I called Shantae an indie game at this point, but um, yeah, the Shantae Half Genie Heroes opening. The song uh, by, uh, and we're not allowed to call her Christina V anymore, are we? What is it? Christina Velasquez now, I think you're supposed to call her. Oh, yeah. Um, when did that change? Uh, she, she just decided to to embrace her heritage a bit more, I think, and asked everyone to call her uh, oh. by her full name. Fair so, enough. Good for I'm her. Not on so- I'm not um, on social media, so <laughs> if, if, yeah. Gem- if Gematsu or uh, Silicon Era didn't write an article about it, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah anyway um regardless the 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 sort of beginning of shante half genie hero where your platforming is accompanied by this song um this one thing we haven't really talked about today is when you when you play a game and there's a song when you're playing mm-hmm. i love that well I you know it's down to business now right <laughs> you know this is it yeah and i mean it's it's <laughs> there being a song in a piece of music is like something that i when I was playing sort of 8 and 16 bit games I was thinking well, wouldn't this be cool if there was like someone singing over the top of this that would make it like super cool wouldn't it and like when that when that started to happen for the first time in sort of 32 bit era and beyond I was like yes this is exactly what I hoped it would be and the opening to Shantae Half Junior Hero sort of really really captured that feel for me it sort of it was a very strong opening for the game it introduced the character really nicely 
uh, and it gave again gave you that that sort of sense of adventure uh what sort of character shante is she dances through the danger she yeah it's, it's what she is and it super evocative love it yeah yeah it's good i mean this whole soundtrack just yeah just incredible i mean jake kaufman is uh, <laughs> he's the best he's so good yeah um yeah i mean you know shantae it's perfect this is shantae's theme song right it's um yeah. alternatively to the burning town theme which is one of the usual first opening area themes for shantae yes. is also like absolutely classic Yes, I, I think the thing I like about this track is that there is a version of Burning Town in Half Genie Hero yes. as well. But I, it, the thing I like about this track is it kind of evokes the same feeling as Burning Town does, by, but is a, a unique piece of music in its own right as well. Yeah. So it's got a, it's got that similar kind of feeling to it, but it, and it, 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 it feels it feels perfect. It, it, it just feels perfectly in place for a Shante game. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and like yeah. very you know. <laughs> comes up uh, you know again um everything about um the writing in shantae the presentation of shantae it's criminal that there is no shantae animated series yeah and like this just feels like the opening music sequence to the shantae anime series that doesn't exist right like this feels like yeah the, the opening credits <laughs> you know get it gearing you up for a new episode of adventure with your friends yeah. like it's just so good yeah. Oh, I just correct myself. It's Chris, Christina Valenzuela, not Christina Velasquez. I do apologize. Okay. Um, so I just correct myself on that. But yes, that is that is how she prefers to be referred to now. So um, there you go. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. So that is all of my picks. Have you got any more you want to share with us? Got one more. Got one more. Kept it to a tight ten. We're only talking about this two plus hours. You know, gotta gotta <laughs> be gotta be reasonable. Um. <laughs> Uh, the opening level to R-Type 3, The Third Lightning. Okay. Um, I love our type. Our type doesn't love me. Um, our type doesn't love anyone. No. Just, <laughs> how long was that? How long was that Corona stream where she refused she, to stop playing our type? Like nine she hours. It? She was yeah. playing it for nine hours didn't nonstop. Like, didn't like management <laughs> have to shut her down? Like I don't even think she beat it. I think management was like, "You have to stop. Like we can't. We, like we can't let you work more than nine hours straight without a break." Like you must stop, <laughs> like. I'm, but yeah, our type loves nobody. If our type isn't nice to Corone, then our type can't be nice to anybody. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, our type is of course Irem's legendary uh, horizontal shooter series, known for its uh, plotting, pace, and extreme difficulty. Um. Generally speaking, our type themes communicate kind of. A very similar theme um, usually like determination but not in the same way a lot of these tracks we've been um, 
not a way a lot of these tracks we've talked about today have communicated determination and heroism and like i can do this like mm -hmm. our type themes have always kind of communicated like i have to do this like this yeah. is the last hope um and that that kind of military feeling of like determined to fulfill your mission is always backed up by like unease and fear of the alien unknown um yeah. like like body horror and like fear because um, that's yeah. what our type is it's about combating a, a hideous alien threat that can morph and, and take on disturbing forms um but i specifically picked the track from our type three because it feels different than other our type tracks in a way that is really special um unlike our type one and two and any of the spin-offs there's something about the track in R-Type 3 that feels distinctly triumphant and defiant. Like, mm -hmm. it, it communicates to me that you're finally taking the fight to the back to the Bido Empire. You're, this, isn't a, this isn't a track of defense. This isn't a track of last resort. This is a track of aggression. Unlike, unlike other R-Type themes... The first level of R-Type is really designed in a very specific way to make you feel really empowered. Um, it's actually quite a bit easier than, than uh, our other previous R-Type levels, and that's very explicitly on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it makes you feel like a badass. These, like, faux Super Nintendo electric guitars are, like, wailing away. There's a friggin' guitar solo in it. Um, <laughs> uh, the... It makes you feel like you can do anything. You get in these conflicts with these giant robots with like plasma rifles and they're focusing so hard on firing at you that they forget to pay attention and they fly backwards into stage elements and explode before you can even kill them. Like you are a threat. The enemy is panicking. And yeah. like th this track makes you feel that way. Yeah. And it's all a clever ruse. <laughs> because level, <laughs> level it's on purpose it's to make you feel um falsely secure in your might yeah. and your abilities because then level two it's just immediately oh fuck it's our type and, then, <laughs> and then, so like enjoy it while it lasts in level one enjoy yeah. this feeling of power enjoy this feeling of ability enjoy this feeling of um competency and strength because you will be robbed of it immediately yeah but god damn vibe, this first track i'll tell you the vibe i get from this first track it's it, like you say it is it is quite markedly different from the other stuff we've talked about today in that a lot of the other stuff we talked about today is like sort of bright-eyed bushy-tailed adventurer going out on an adventure and sort of ready for action and ready to face whatever the world is is whatever challenges they're going to be faced with and that sort of thing this track is a guy with unkempt hair, scars all over his face, maybe a couple of fingers missing, smoking a cigarette, going like, "Fuck you! I'm gonna take you down now!" Yeah. And he's like, he's like stepping up to the plate, and he's like, he's pissed off. He is absolutely pissed off at these enemies, and he is going to go and fuck them up. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what this is. This track is, I have nothing to lose. You have taken everything from me. I will kill you. I know it will kill me to kill you. <laughs> like, that's what this track is. And it's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. 
Yeah. So that's that's my uh, that's my ten first level first area game music tracks today. Yeah. But that was that was quite a quite a lengthy discussion. Um, but yes, I think I think we certainly did the subject matter justice. And as you say, there are so many other tracks we could talk about just on this subject. I could do just this on, like just die. just on the subject of first levels. Yeah, there are there are so many more that I I, I could have picked for this one. But uh, I haven't yeah, even mentioned just... any games by Talonet or Wolf Team. Like uh -huh. <laughs> that's a whole nother. <laughs> Oh, but yes, yes, we have to call time somewhere, so uh, I think the, the two-hour mark is as good as anywhere. For just this discussion, there's two segments before we started talking about <laughs> We cannot control ourselves. Anyway, anyway, that was a good discussion. I enjoyed that a lot, and I hope uh, everyone listening did too as well. So, before we wrap up then, do you want to tell people where they can find your stuff online? <laughs> sure, you can see and purchase my artwork at ccaskyart.com. Uh, I've also got a, a rather nice gallery of all of my work historically presented on my DeviantArt gallery page, uh, which you can find by searching for my old screen name, Mr. Gilder, M-R-G-I-L-D-E-R. Marvelous stuff. And like I said, uh, you can find uh, my stuff on MarioGamer.net that I've done up until this point. Um, at the moment, I'm sort of scaling back the stuff I'm doing every week on that because of my day job at Rice Digital. Um, but you will still find the ongoing mega features on the Atelier series and the work of Bizarre Creations going on over there as well, as well as posts uh, announcing the various videos that I've done. Uh, you'll find me on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Pete Davison with the Atari A to Z series. Uh, you'll also find the Rice Digital YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Rice Digital and uh, doing a bunch of stuff on there now. If there's anything in particular you would like to see on that channel, do please let me know because we're just sort of experimenting with different things at the moment to see what people like and what they want to see more of. Uh, and as I say, uh, you'll find my writing every day during the daytime at ricedigital.co.uk as well. So lots of places you can find my work these days. Just remains for us to say, as always, thank you very much for watching and or listening, especially on a, such an epic episode as this one. Uh, and we'll see you again next time.